Hello everybody and welcome to Bevies with the Boys. Me and Dagda are the boys and today we are joined for some bevies by Monte Cristo and Papa Smithy. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining us. I know Papa Smithy, you're over in America right now. So thank you very mm -hmm. much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us. Uh, but no one... worries, it's mon Monday midday here, so uh, I imagine I'm trapped crazy in Twickenham Stadium. <laughs> Help! I'm in a rugby stadium. Hey, for a month. you're in the right time zone, at least for for beers yeah. right now. Like beyond five o'clock in the UK is beer o'clock as as a rule. So that's fair. Congratulations. Uh, let's do a quick whip around, and uh, I'll give you guys an opportunity to introduce yourselves and let us know. Uh, for one of you, what you're drinking, and I believe you're probably not drinking midday on Monday, Papa Smithy. So, uh, Monty, let's Sorry, start with you. Uh, do you want to give us a bit of an intro <laughs> on what you're drinking tonight? Uh, I, I'm i having, so I'm trapped in Twickenham Stadium, so my my uh, my options are limited here. I, you know, I've been here for three weeks. I have already gone through six bottles of wine, so I don't have any more wine. So now I'm drinking beck's draft which tastes oh. like water it's it's pretty unfortunate i do have a backup glass of wine but it's not amazing so i have to say this is you're really hitting me at an alcohol all-time low i have no scotch i have no cocktails i've been reduced to this via my situation but i am going to order a bunch of wine soon so you just hit me in the the spot with no wine in it tragically mm. with the, the classic wine trough i see yeah yeah exactly it's an unfortunate one. All right, and uh, I, I know what. How I, I need to order some champagne because how else am I going to uh, you know celebrate TSM's ineptitude coming up here? So that's <laughs> that's going to be really exciting for me. You know, it, it really is the best off season ever in terms of you know horrible fan bases getting what they deserve. Like Fnatic and TSM at the same time. Holy shit! This is the dream. I've been waiting <laughs> like ten years for this shit. All right. Anyway, beginning as we need to go on. <laughs> <Come> on. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, Papa Smithy, you, I'm guessing you're on the water. We had Raz on coffee. We had Frost on water. Are you, I'm, trying uh... to, I'm trying to upgrade from water. So I'm introducing the C2O coconut water over oh. here as my uh, drink of choice for now. But it is midday. Um, I think I'm nominally working on the side while trying to record this content. So trying to uh, trying to stay sober. But um, you're catching me, at least in terms of the off season, like right after most of the stuff's locked mm -hmm. in. So at least we're not in the... Uh, not in the trenches as much as I was a week ago. So good job on the scheduling for sure. Okay. Well, I can give all of the credit to that for, for Dagda for this one. <laughs> uh, Dagda, what are you drinking tonight, mate? Uh, I'm on a Dublin whiskey. It's called a Rowan Co. Is what it's called. It's uh, from a small distillery Ooh. here in Dublin. So it's really, really nice. Yeah. That's what Where do you live in Dublin? Uh, North Dublin. Uh, just in, well, Fingal is the name of the area. Uh, I used to live in Dublin too. Yeah. We uh, actually went to the same college. Oh, you want, you're a trainer? I'm a trainer, yeah. Oh, shit. That's my That's degree amazing. right there. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> What'd you study? Uh, business. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did literature, so. Yeah. About the same I was thing. one of those yeah. dickheads. <laughs> Very similar. And now we're both in esports. Yeah. yeah. So the degree it, went, it went downhill so fast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well. Uh, I'm going to be on the Moyo Juice to start off the night. And then I got, this was on the four for seven quid at the co-op. So I've got four random Ooh, beers. And then the if it gets bet. too crazy, I've got some Hendrix on the shelf. So we can always go on the gin. Good man. Um, I know Hendrix is a, a popular one over at the States as well. That's That was my go-to when I lived over there. Hen Hendrix, uh, see the thing about Hendrix. So if you want to start the liquor conversation. So I actually in Dublin, I used to be a cocktail bartender at the Florida, which has since closed, but it was a very nice Cuban bar there. Um, and uh, 
I I know like a lot about cocktails. He, he does know a lot about cocktails. <laughs> so, but Hendrix I love because it's everywhere and it's like such a solid go-to gin mm-hmm. at any bar. You know, it's one of my it's one of my kind of essential essentials when I go there. Obviously, you know, if they have a deeper gin selection, I like to go there, but you can't go wrong with it, basically, yeah. is what I'm saying. That that was exactly my mentality while I was in... I, I lived in Las Vegas for a year, and it was just like, everywhere probably has Hendrix. It's always mm. a solid choice. You can't go wrong with it. Some of the other gins that you get, like, some of them are great. Some of them can be pretty awful, so... Funnily enough, in, in Korea, you know, obviously I was there with Christopher for five years, and Hendrix was, like, always available and, like, positioned yep. as the premium gin, so... That's why it's pretty ever-present, I guess, in America and Korea. So I'm pretty used to it, too. Yeah. Good I, stuff. One thing that's always surprised me is pe- a lot of people think it's an English gin, but it's it's actually a Scottish gin, which obviously uh, yeah. Scotland isn't exactly known for gin. But but yeah, the, probably the most popular gin is Scottish. But there you go. Um, so I wanted to start off the conversation here, um, similarly to what we did last episode. I want to give you guys an opportunity to kind of tell a little bit of your story or at least the cliff notes of your guys' stories. Because obviously... You guys precede the majority of current uh, esports talent when it comes to your careers. Um, And I think a lot of uh, the modern League of Legends viewers have joined within the last two, three, four years, right? So I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to kind of tell us what the stepping stones have been in your careers, how you reached the peaks of your careers, because obviously you both uh, were kind of at the very tip top of the caster game when you guys were casting in League of Legends. Um, and then you've both gone in in different paths after that to to continue career beyond that. So I wanted to kind of get a little bit of a, a synopsis of of the story so far from you guys. So Papa Smithy, let, let's start with you. I think it's easier because actually our, our past is, especially the recent, more recent past is intertwined. It's easier if, if Christopher starts because sure. there's like a juncture where um, the two of us kind of like meet um, via him casting LPL and me casting uh, my my casting LPL and his casting LCK right back when he starts. Oh, most people calling it know, LCK. So. That's it. <laughs> well, I mean, back then it was the cha- OGN champions, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah back you start with your, your your early Warcraft 3 days, Christopher. <laughs> you started in Warcraft 3, did you? Yeah. Um, I started casting in high school, basically. So I this was like 2003, 2004 ish uh so i started casting dating some of uh the pro players that yeah this is this is a real esports boomer shit you ready <laughs> you ready for this here's a question for you idiots like do you even know why you're called shoutcasters i because of the plugin for winamp there you yeah. go see see I, I read someone's wikipedia page before i came on today <laughs> <laughs> this guy fucking right yeah. here <laughs> this guy's a prepper I, i'm the drinker he's the prepper that's that's how we do this i do both uh, you know yeah. personally but, um, i'm the same as you yeah I like <laughs> but um yeah i uh i so basically the the, show, the term shoutcaster comes from the winamp plugin because it used to be via like radio essentially, because this is before Twitch, YouTube, anything like that. And so there wasn't, obviously people didn't have internet that could reliably Mm -hmm. stream video. So what I was doing as a caster was sending out an audio only stream. And then there were plugins for the game, like called WOG TV, which was for Warcraft three. It was, um, so the way that art, I mean, this is, uh, this is a total tangent. Sorry. So the way that (laughs) RTS works, you you ready? The way that RTS works, 
is that when you have a replay, let's say of StarCraft or Warcraft 3, so it's a two-dimensional game fundamentally, right? So you have an XY axis and basically like a time, like the time that the game is going on, right? So when it's recording something, it says like left click at this XY coordinate or, or this button press at this time. So when you're watching a replay, it's actually like the computer just reading a, mm -hmm. a log of the, the commands that were issued and then putting them in time, right? And so what people realized was that they could create a kind of a streaming service where it would stream re in, in almost real time the commands that were being issued by pro players into a custom game. So you would basically log into this client and it would make a fake custom game, like as if you were on a local area network mm -hmm. and you would go into that game and you could watch it live before the replays came out. And while you're watching it live, you would listen to an audio stream of the casters because there were only eight observer slots. So the casters would be in a couple of those observer slots. And then we would, you would have to sync it because there's a day-night cycle in Warcraft 3. Yeah. So I, you'd, as a caster, you'd constantly be saying like, oh, it's you know three o'clock during the day right now, so that people would be able to sync the game and the, and the live, basically, stream of the game playing itself is very weird. But these are the workarounds that we used. So um, I was part of the Team Sportscast network with D-Man, actually, back in the day, another former League of Legends caster. Um, and then I did a bunch of other RTS, like Company of Heroes, Rise of Nations, Rise of Legends. Um, I was like a semi-pro Warcraft 3 player before I started casting. And then I, I kind of fell out of it for a little bit when I went to Ireland to study. Um, and I was doing some other stuff over there and working with a storyteller in Ireland. And then when League of Legends came out, my college roommate actually was one of the first employees at Riot. And he contacted me and said hey, look, I know you're in Warcraft 3. I know you played a little bit of Dota. Do you want to come out? And this was like in 2009 during be closed beta. Do you want to come out and just, after I graduate college, do you want to come out and like hang out in the Riot offices? And I had never heard of Riot. There were like 40 employees at the time, mm -hmm. uh, maybe 50, something like that. And uh, I came there and the game was super interesting. Uh, I really loved it. Uh, I, I started talking to like Mark Merrill and Brandon Beck when I was just basically just staying in their offices for a week because they knew I was in esports and they were asking, hey, do you think this could be an esport? And I said, yeah, I mean, I think this game is fantastic. And so anyway, started, you know, League of Legends started in 2009. I was playing it a bunch. And then starting in like 2011, it started getting really big uh, in terms of esports competition. So it took a couple of years and I was playing it the whole time. And I had written a bunch of articles and worked on staff for a site called WC3 Replays, which I was doing casting for and, and article writing for and event coverage for, like going to events and, and writing coverage back in Warcraft 3 when I was in college. So I basically formed my own uh, coverage site called GG Chronicle. And then we started throwing tournaments. So we realized like, and TSM and CLG were like competing in our tournaments. So you could actually have the pro teams this was before LCS in 2012, like early 2012. And so I basically was beating the streets in New York where I was living and I was getting like $50,000 in, in prize pool from companies Just in New York. Back then. Yeah, it was a lot. So we were holding, you know, I was in my apartment in Brooklyn and we were streaming. I was like streaming out of my apartment in Brooklyn to like 50,000 concurrent people for these tournaments and like, March of 2012. So I started doing that. And then I started working at MLG because they were based in New York and they needed casters. So I was casting these events. And then um, I was at season two worlds and met with crisis. We, who is the former lead producer of OGN and torch. So Trevor Houston, who's at blizzard right now was leaving the broadcast and introduced me to crisis. 
who um, is still like, so crisis, I mean, this is like old esports history. He works in China now, but crisis, crisis is like the unsung hero of esports. We inducted him into the esports hall of fame, like last year, because he started doing producing esports events on Korean TV in like 1999. And he did 40 seasons of the OSL. He's basically like the most experienced esports producer on planet earth. And he's still doing it. He's incredible. So all the, 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 champions stuff that you saw in 2012 and 2013 and 2014 was all him him being the executive producer so yeah he's a god basically um so i got introduced to crisis and then i did some interviews and at the end of 2012 ogn offered me a job and they said hey you've got two weeks to move to korea (laughs) and it was during hurricane sandy in new york so i was working at a law firm and uh everything like the power was all out is fucking insane and so I just left. I just left New York. You were, you were kind of the replacement for Brendan Valdez, sort of, in a way. Most people don't know that because he had just done special comments on the season before. Because it was, I guess, you were the official replacement for for Torch, who was who was jumping off and right. moving towards Blizzard. But uh, Brendan was like the like pro player insight special special comments at the the final before you joined. So funny how esports pathways and histories (laughs) end up like that because people just won't remember that time back when it was being broadcast on OGNLOL.com, i think like as a cypher it was a zubu it was a zubu sponsored yeah but it wasn't officially on like a zubu.tv or anything back then it was like a plugin that you subscribed to like so it was was obviously i mean it was in the same vein as like the old uh like Mm. tv player for starcraft very similar yeah there was a big push for it to be watched on a zubu though right i remember there being yeah because they were sponsoring it and they sponsored blaze and frost and so anyway i ended up going there and then i did uh, what like 10 seasons of champions and then i did masters which was the team league so i was there casting from 2012 until 2017 i switched to overwatch at the end uh, obviously, because my giant fight with Riot. Um, I was also casting StarCraft professionally while I was there. I was casting Vainglory professionally while I was there. Papa was casting yeah, Hearthstone and also Overwatch. And then I switched to Overwatch. And basically, when all the shit was going down with Riot in 2016, I was already talking to Blizzard about moving over to Overwatch. So I did that. Joined the Overwatch League as a caster and consultant. Helped do a lot of the setup of Overwatch League. I owned Renegades, the team that was in LCS before I got banned. Um, I continued to run GG Chronicle for a while. I coached CLG during that time. Then I came back to the States, did two years. Well, I did three years of Overwatch League, although there wasn't Overwatch League in the first year I was there, basically. Um, It was a lot of setup for Overwatch League. And then at the end of last year, I left Overwatch League because I wanted to do some other work. And Cloud9 was part of a group of teams that were forming a team-owned entity called B-Site, which is my current employer that operates Flashpoint, the Counter-Strike League. And effectively, I was when I was with Cloud9, most of my work was still doing Flashpoint, um, but they hadn't set up the full company yet. So as soon as that was set up, I got transferred full-time there. So now I'm the commissioner of Flashpoint, and I'm uh, vice president of, of brand at, at B-Site. And I do hosting for Counter-Strike and still do summoning insight now so that's kind of where i'm at it's amazing how much history you've yeah. crammed into that very very short <laughs> I, i'm really <laughs> impressed it's like 50 <laughs> years of over history. here there's a, there's a lot of different things to enter that's my the wife in the background like, hi susie hey susie <laughs> um there's a lot of different like things you can deep dive on in that 
that uh, short summary of yeah, quite an eventful yeah, esports it's, career. It's honestly um, really the most impressive thing is that like each of these little uh, things that you've hit on for like twenty seconds at a time are like an entire person's career for other people. <laughs> yeah. Like they're in like nineteen different career I've paths. Seven different games professionally now. So like people think of me as you know. Some people think of me as being like an Overwatch person. Some people think of me as being a League person. Some people think of me as yeah. like being in StarCraft or Warcraft Three or um, even Vainglory. Like I get that. So it's it's really interesting because of how many different kinds of games and genres I've done. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the only person to have done more styles of game at the top level, especially as a color commentator than me is Wolf, because technically I never did RTS professionally because I was, it was too early. Right. But Wolf did Starcraft for years. Um, and he did, then he did Overwatch and Heroes of the Storm. So he's actually done FPS, RTS and Boba at the, at the top. Like he has been at the world-class level. Don't forget the world games. of tanks also remember. <laughs> he didn't do that at the world-class level. He never was like at the, you know, the championships for those. Sorry. But, sorry. My, yeah. I mean, Wolf is, Wolf is definitely up there in terms of like esports long-term yeah. journeyman. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's kind of an arguable. So I want to I want to pass it over to you now, Papa Smithy, because I know there was a, a I'm sure there's a few points in what Monty was saying that you would have liked to uh, bounce off of. Uh, so do you want to? Because obviously you you guys had kind of different starting points. Where did it all mm. begin for you? So for me, um, I played Dota when I was in uh, college. So like you know, 2005, I think I started college, um, and so original Dota was you know popular at the time and it was like one of our land games um we had a really good local area network at my university so it was easy to play against people there picked it up it was a lot of fun obviously never took it too seriously um i was okay at it mm -hmm. uh, and that was kind of like a two-year love affair i guess like that was like the main game we played for a while like when i was in high school it was like cs 1.5 1. 1.4 and then college it was dota and then moved on from there and I thought I was done with kind of like the MOBA genre. Um, but I remember I went with my friends um, very early 2010, would have been like January 2010, uh, to watch an Australian rules football game. And they were talking about, oh, we're playing this game. It's like a lot like Dota. Do you want to play? And I was like, no, like I've done that already. You know, <laughs> like at that time, my life is over. Um, I got peer pressured into playing a game of Dota, uh, sorry, a game of League. And it was... Uh, I think it was like the beta test of Twisted Tree Line. So it was like 3v3. Mm -hmm. um, I went, I played Gangplank and I still remember I went like 505. Like I didn't die in like the first game I played. And I guess that like stoked my ego because I kept yeah. playing apparently for uh, quite a while. Um, I was in Australia at the time and obviously the North American server was the only one. It was on really high ping, but the game was addictive. So I played with friends. Um, with the moment ranked opened. So I, I was just playing kind of like alone and with friends. And then back then, before kind of like Reddit and stuff took off, it was like the, the League of Legends forums were pretty big. So I tried to find any Australian communities there. And then actually the in-game chat, um, chat rooms was pretty big too. So I ended up joining like the, um, there was like at the time, there was like a VChat, which was like for like 4chan, kids even though i didn't even know that at the time but I, that was one of the big communities and so i was in there and then eventually i joined like lolle which was the australian chat um on the client uh so i met a lot of interesting people through that and funnily enough when season one ranked opened my duo queue partner was i'm a cutie pie which 
you know, obviously <laughs> no before more. any of his before any of his um, fame, right? Like this is before like even uh-huh. the smaller esports tournaments started. Um, I was actually on his team for one of the very early tournaments. I forget the name now, but there was a team um, that was actually quite good that I was I was kind of mo- more of a sub because it was an American time zone. Like I wasn't going to be able to play realistically, but um, there was definitely some notables on that team. Like V-Man 7 was on that team as well. Another 2010 League of Legends Luminary and stuff. Um, and so, you know, I was, I was pretty decent. Like I wasn't fantastic at the game by any means, but started there and then persisted with the Australian scene. And then... I remember one of my, so I finally started playing for a professional Aussie team um, at the time. Most people don't know about my esports career because it was like, you know, season two Australian league, you know, before any like professional side. It's kind of like pub poker versus like serious poker kind of thing. Like the stakes were a lot lower as you know, close to mouse pads for prize pools. Yep. Um, and I was on the second best Australian team, but the kind of notable stuff around that is that Rusty the caster was on the team as well. He was the mid laner oh, really? and then the support at times. Um, Swiffer, who is probably before the OPL era, like the most famous Australian pro, he was on the team at the end. Um, Claire, who still plays pro, joined as my replacement when I retired to do casting full time. He was, I think he was 13 at the time. He like subbed in as our top laner. Um, and now he's still a mid laner playing in the OPL, you know, until the OPL ended. So. It's funny how many of us OCE guys are like from the really, really old days, but I was playing pro and the first game I played, pro game, um, was actually cast. And I didn't know that esports casting was a thing. Like mm-hmm. I would have I had seen that the GOM tournaments were getting like English casting around the time for StarCraft, but I had never watched any professional gaming or anything like that. And I was like, Oh, it's being cast, that's interesting. And it was being cast on I think it might have been Justin T V or not sure if Twitch had started by then. It might have been owned, like, you know, one of the early services. Yeah. Um, and Pastry Time was casting it, amusingly. Um, and so I thought that was cool. And, you know, I was someone who had watched a lot of wrestling and like uh, listened to a lot of commentary and sports and stuff. And I remember um, we had to cancel practice one day and Pastry said, hey, do you want to jump in and talk and, like, try out? And so my first ever cast was with Pastry Time, you know, obviously a... Uh, longtime casting partner of mine and got good feedback, enjoyed it, kind of ran with it while trying to play pro. Um, and eventually, because I was working a full-time job, trying to play professional, back then you didn't scrim a lot, so you know, it was a bit more viable. Yeah. And casting, something had to give, and it was the playing side of things. Um, and then started casting, and we did Australian kind of like community tournaments and small esports tournaments in Australia. And then Taipei Assassins won Worlds that year in Season 2. Um, and that was a big moment because suddenly there was a demand to cast um, English language tournaments that TPA was playing in. So that got us, uh, Page Time and I, a lot of opportunities to cast basically everything that OGN wasn't doing. So ESL Asia at the time was a pretty big um, Twitch channel because it covered like kind of everything. There was a lot of... yeah. IEM Korean qualifiers and, um, you know, Singaporean regional tournaments, uh, the Gigabyte Stars War League, funnily named, but a really cool tournament at the time was straight after World Season, World's, uh, season 2. And it was a tournament that had the best teams from Korea, China, and, um, you know, the precursor to the LMS region 
playing together. So that was like a really big kind of cool option to see like Najin Sword versus Taipei Assassins right after World Season 2 and things like that. So that's where I believe I, I Krista probably would have watched me for the first time is doing tournaments around that time. And yep. just as he was starting um, working on OGN Champions. So he had been yep. doing MLG and stuff and then headed over. So our careers were kind of intertwined in a way where obviously he was on a main broadcast and being paid and all these things. And I was just doing it as a side job. You know, I was working as a school counselor in regional Australia at the time, but you know, we just were at similar points in our career and I took a lot of inspiration from him and we enjoyed talking about competitive league and there weren't a lot of Asian regional experts at the time. So it was just a natural kind of like, Hey, what's going on in your league? Let's, mm -hmm. you know, let's chat and find a way to, if possible, work together in the future. As so, a school counselor, what mm -hmm. did you say to the guys who came in who were asking, look, I just want to sit around and play games all day. Were you like, yeah, go for it. You got this. Or were you like, no, 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 no. This is a so, I mean, school counselor was something I was pretty good at, you know, if I'm going to toot my own horn, because I'm pretty good at like building rapport with people. Like I'm pretty, mm -hmm. it's helpful in contract negotiations, for example, but it's helpful in a lot of different ways where um, I'm pretty good at being like, hey, what are you into? And then because I play games, because I watch TV shows, because I, you know, I'm on the internet a lot. I'm pretty familiar with what's going on. I'm hip with the kids, I guess you would say. Um, and that was that was useful. Like I knew about League of Legends. A lot of the kids I was talking to were into like Minecraft. Minecraft was released around that time. Um, and the, it was kind of like uh, an easy end for people to feel comfortable. They could share their interests and I knew something about it. So mm -hmm. for sure, when it came to gaming and stuff like that, like I wasn't tooting my own horn or being like, hey, check out my sick replay, but um, it did help that I was able to talk about kind of like topics like that, that most people in my profession obviously wouldn't be. And so, yeah, back then it was all volunteer casting and things like that till, funnily enough, the Australian server launched um, in 2013 and they brought Pastry Time and I on to, to cast that. So I went to PAX 2013 and that was my first um, gaming convention, you know, my first live broadcast and all those things. And look back and it's it's definitely been an interesting seven years since then but kind of came up through the community casting to casting the australian regional scene um went went on to the english broadcast of the lpl back in 2015 um spring like that was the only full split i did but cast that final the famous death pentakill in game five against lgd for egd at the time if you watch back like if you didn't crit on the one auto they would have lost that team yeah. fight and lgd would have won and then maybe SKT wouldn't have lost that final in five games. But um, <laughs> at the end of the day, um, after casting that, I was pretty burnt out because we were doing the first season of OPL and the English co coverage of LPL back-to-back -back in the Sydney studio. Um, so it was, it was pretty intense, like we're casting yeah. six days a week. Obviously, you guys know what it's like to have an intense casting schedule. Everyone here is broadcast a lot. <laughs> um, and... I just wanted to jump over and uh, visit Christopher. So I went to watch the LCK final, which was a week after the LPL final. It was the Samsung Blue Najin White Shield. So that was the first time the year before it was Samsung yeah. Blue Najin. That was the first time I visited. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the second time it was uh, SKT Coup, I think. Was that spring 2015? I think it was SKT Coup. Um, it was a 3-0, that's, that's right. for sure. Um, it was a quick 3-0 final, but um, had a job interview set up. I didn't, it wasn't supposed to be like that, but uh, 
I'm, well, I was like, you're I'm skipping out on the smart part, which is that you had come to Korea before and like mm. actually networked while you were there mm. and like come out with the, the Korean producer. I mean, you got to edit everything. something out, Christopher. It's a long fucking story. But at the end of the day, <laughs> the first time he I visited. He played his hand very well. I will say that. The long, the long story is, is that even back in 2012, Christopher was like, you know, I, I really like speaking to you about the game. I think you're a good caster. Mm -hmm. Let's find a way to work together um dude dude the, so, you, you skipped out on the whole shit too where you were back in which like, part the uae <laughs> for a year just like we just skipped that 2014 <laughs> didn't happen but, <laughs> no, uh, I, just, I find it very interesting because like I, I was watching him and i was advocating him and we couldn't hire him at, at ogn at the time so i was like trying to get him on lcs too and i was like look riot management there's this papa smithy guy he's stuck in australia in the middle of bumfuck nowhere and he's a school counselor but he's really good he's really good and literally riot management was like we don't think he can be hype enough and i was like are you fucking kidding me how would you even know he's literally in his bedroom in australia casting a game you know in the middle of the night and there's no audience like how can you possibly say that and by the way, this is a guy who later cast two world finals for those same yeah. people. So, you know, I will say that Riot's the ability people. to like identify talent is fucking awful, awful, just ugh, so bad. So it, it is funny that 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 happened later on. But he did come to Korea and actually network and, and do that kind of stuff, which is important. And this is something that I always tell people who want to get involved in esports. I say fucking talk to people and go to events because that's where you actually get shit done. Yeah, I had a job interview the first time I came to visit. Like you mentioned, it was the spring 2014 final. It was for OGN Masters, which there was only one season of that was mostly cast by uh, Monty and, and Chobra. Um, there was going to be a second season, which would have been two teams, like Monty Doa on Champions, and then running parallel you know, throughout the year was going to be Masters Season 2. And that Masters was the, the, the org idea, so the sister teams kind of like combining, which obviously... Mm -hmm. LCK ended up, you know, representing the year later. Um, they wanted to pick up, you know, it would have been Trober and me doing the um, Masters broadcast you know, at the same sort of time. Then, of course, LCK concept came in, and so there was no need for multiple this, casting this is, teams. All so right, this is so political. The, Holy shit, was shut, the up, out there. shut up. What do you want to tell? <laughs> what version do you tell them, sir? <laughs> so let, let me put it this way. So the the LCK concept come up came up, which was the... This, this is the diplomatic way to say that Riot decided that we couldn't have sister teams anymore and decided that instead of running tournaments, we had to run the league format. Yeah, take it, take a swig there. So we had this cool thing <laughs> before where we had three tournaments. A <laughs> we had three tournaments a year, right? And instead we had to go to this like round robin league format, which was infinity times worse. And the whole system that they were trying to create in Korea was a mirror of the StarCraft Brood War system, where you had the OSL, the StarCraft, the on-game net StarCraft League, where they had you know three tournaments a year where it was all the players competing against each other. And then they had a year-long pro league, which was a team league where all the players would like, you know, there were different formats. There's like the all-kill format where basically, you know, the player stays in until they lose, and the first team to win four uh, you know, gets to win for their team. Um, that was probably the most famous format that they had, but they also had one where you would switch out players every game and you still had to win four. So it was like a best of seven, but it was between a bunch of players on the same team. So the idea with masters is that you would have the sister teams and you would have a best of three and each sister team had to play once. And in the third game, you could run either of the teams or you could mix the rosters together for game three. It was really cool. Um, so the idea was that this would run concurrently to 
this would take like nine months to run one season of this, just like it did pro league and brood war. And then you'd be, you'd have the champions, which was just these tournaments that with 16 teams that would run three times a year. So it was a cool system that they had going that was very effective for the Korean market in Starcraft. And so what happened was at the end of 2014, Riot said, no, we don't want sister teams. We want you to have to run this league format, which is, this is not something the Korean audience was even vaguely familiar with, by the way. So it's a complete misread on the market, number one. And also, it's just way boring. I so, mean, at the end of the day, they wanted to make it uniform, right? They wanted every league around the world to be the same format, which, and they also wanted to take away control from OGN. So it was yes. kind of, a, yeah. a, there, were, a there were many things. Thing. So, so what he's saying is that we, the, the situation that was occurring at the time, we were thinking that we were going to be able to hire him because there were so many games. And at this point in time, I was doing every Masters game and every Champions game. So, I mean, you guys know what that's like. I was literally casting two best of threes five days a week. For an entire year yeah. in 2014, which, as you know, been is there. pretty fucking rough. Yeah, yeah we've yeah. all been there. No, all been there. This, is, this is why I still say that I haven't cast League since 2017. I have still cast more League of Legends than any of the LCS casters because they're casting like two or three games a week. Like I would do in one year what they do in like four years. So... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we actually did the maths on that for the for the LPL. I think we cast oh my God, like yes. 153 series yep. or something series. this yeah, year. Best of threes, which this is year. just insane. Like, there's well, so much... your reps in, man. You're catching up. And this is what nobody talks about, by the way, which is insane to me. Is like you guys are going to be more experienced technically than the LCS casters in terms of broadcast <laughs> hours by like the end of next year. It's crazy the difference that people have. Yeah. But anyway, so that, that was me. I was me horning in on his like. Very yeah, you are. You're trying, to, you're trying to just, <laughs> it, it, just introduce extra bits. But the, the basic part is came back in 2015. Wasn't expecting a you're job interview. You're offending me with your framing. That's, that's my choice. It's a frame, baby. Um, got the job and then started in 2015 summer. It was doing LCK, you know, in partnership with Christopher at, at the time directly. Like we were actually casting together for mm -hmm. 2015 yep. summer before we brought in uh, Achilles as the second play-by-play. -play. Um, at the same time, I was doing some Hearthstone. So I did Hearthstone for a couple of years and then Overwatch uh, for a year as well. Um, and then, yeah, League from basically was my League casting was my full-time job from start of 2015 in LPL till... Yeah, end of 2019, you know, when I chose to jump over to 100 Thieves. And a lot of things happened in between then. Probably the most notable uh, before Christopher's eventual departure was uh, refusing to cast the MSI 2016 tournament, the famous uh, fair rates discussion, industry standard rates discussion that we were memeing about before this show started. Um, came from that, where we all declined that event, but um, was able to come to a more equitable uh, decision for Worlds 2016, and then yeah, I did every Riot event from Worlds 2016 to Worlds 2019. So it was a very good run there from that side. And then the only other kind of notable thing, I guess, was uh, 2018, where I was the only color caster for the entire year. So I was able to do an entire year's worth of best of threes and best of fives. And, <laughs> five uh, days, I the five day double best of three that we oh, all we had loved. Six day, we <laughs> had six day double and four weeks of triple best of threes during that <laughs> split as well. If you remember, uh, the um, the summer split of 2018 had to be abbreviated because um, 
that was the Asia Games. Uh, the Asia Games break had to happen, so we did triple best of threes. Which <laughs> never, if they ever tell you the words triple best of three, just say fuck off. And uh, that's, that's if the you right could have noticed that in spring, that would have been yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wanted to know that. yeah, the the COVID schedule absolutely ruined us earlier this year, yeah. so we ended up with a few. Weeks hey, you guys don't even do all the days. Shut up. Ooh, next year. <laughs> we are. We're gonna be. Good luck, so. good luck with that. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, I will say that the advantage of doing that is it is kind of like a hyperbolic time chamber in terms yeah. of your abilities. You oh, will yeah. get much better. Yeah. Uh, so that is that there is there is an advantage to it, I think, in the long term in terms of your career. I can say that doing that schedule in 2014 did make me a fucking casting god. So <laughs> it, there are advantages, even though it is brutal. Yeah. And I, I, I had to take very good care of my voice because at the end of every week, it was just in shreds basically and i was just sitting there like drinking honey tea for two days not talking that's what i was gonna ask you how did you guys keep your voices in check because i found like after throat five coat. days of us i was done <laughs> buy buy a bunch of throat coat tea yeah and then add honey to it i would buy like giant jars of honey in korea and then i would bring throat coat tea uh, which is specifically for kind of like throat recovery from the States. And I buy it in bulk and then I would just mm -hmm. drink it constantly during the days off and just try not to talk. Oh, okay. Yeah. For, for me, I didn't have too many great maintenance strategies. That was more a Christopher thing. Um, my natural speaking voice and my casting voice are pretty different. Um, the early feedback, and one of the reasons why Riot passed on me was that I didn't have, I didn't project well. I, I didn't sound like hyped and stuff like that. It's not my normal speaking voice. Um, it's why, like, when I do a lot of content like this, people are, oh, is that is that Bob Smithy? They they can't tell audio wise. Um, but projecting um, definitely was the sort of thing where I could turn it on and off, and also my normal speaking voice wasn't like exhausting, kind of for mm -hmm. those purposes. So just naturally with with how I projected. Um, just trying to be a little bit sensible and not speaking too much between broadcasts. I actually ended up finding the Iron Man schedule not that hard. Like I didn't use lose my voice through all of that, which I think is more of a God's gift thing than a kind of like amazing technical thing for me. Yeah. I have to say scheduling wise, the hardest thing, at least for me in the LPL, wasn't really my voice necessarily. It was more like the fatigue. If you're doing a three best of threes in a day, by the time you're getting halfway through that last best of three, it's just like no, no. Half any, of the any stuff caster on the isn't even like, any translating. caster will tell you that like the five hour mark is like the point of no return where you yeah. just mind turns to mush and yeah. it's like if you go past five hours it's just fucking game over and yeah you just go <laughs> there's into no way you could right? keep talking like you just go into autopilot it ends up getting super loopy and silly but yes i hear you and when you get to that and it's the 16th place team versus the 17th place team, and you're just like, I don't want to be Those here. are the banger games. Uh, you know, people would always say, oh, like, do you hate generic games? I'm like, no, like, those are the real fun games because yeah. that's, like, that's the time to really show your craft because the game's giving you fucking nothing. Like, this yep. game sucks ass, but... That's you're when Noah and I would like, talk about Jurassic yeah, Park, you know? That's when the Star Wars and Jurassic Park talk about <laughs> for you guys, and that's where we talk about whatever we did, and... I, that's one of the things is like the only the only times that were concerning is like because we would you know be going to the same studio and the same kind of like transportation mm -hmm. to get there each day i definitely had like in between like those six days uh stretches like fourth week of six days in a row 
there'd be times where like I was sitting in the makeup chair and then the next thing I realized I'd be sitting in the makeup chair for the next day. <laughs> yeah. like, nothing, like, literally nothing had happened, like, like the movie or something. Yeah. And I was like, oh no, this isn't, this is not good. So I actually started, um, this is going to sound bad, but heading to the bar after each cast, mostly because it would give me something in the middle yeah. that I remember doing. Like I wasn't <laughs> like, like going point. out and like yeah. completely like, you know, getting hammered or anything. I was going out for one drink, but I needed to go out, be around people and have a meaningful experience between broadcast days. Otherwise I had this like, holy shit, like I'm just a hundred percent on air at all times. Kind of like, paranoia that i just needed to do something to try to separate yeah, yeah i was in a i was in a crazy schedule in 2014 too because i was coaching clg at the same time so my schedule every day was literally like get home at midnight after casting two best of threes sleep until 5 a.m wake up at 5 a.m for scrims watch scrims and coach until noon sleep for two hours go to the studio go cast a best of three two best of threes <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> and like, I have to ask when when you're when you're in that kind of schedule, did you guys find that uh, when you're outside of like doing your prep for the series and things like that, when you're looking at these series and you're doing it day in day out, did you find that sometimes you were struggling to separate some of the teams that didn't have really distinct because some teams have a very distinct personality to their play, some teams really don't. Did you ever find that like you were struggling to like remember certain games like i find so, that if i cast a game sometimes it's hard to recall harder to recall games that i've cast than games that i watched in, in some way so i think i think in your case it's a little bit different because of how many teams you have in the lpl so there's kind of two answers to this question which is that in 2014 we were still running the tournament format which had 16 teams but we would eliminate teams pretty quickly so if they were shit we just call them shit and they go away <laughs> um I and, like that idea. <laughs> and then later on, we only had 10 teams. So I feel like it wasn't that hard to keep track yeah. of 10 teams, right? You guys have a lot more teams to deal with. Like you're dealing with what, 16, what, 18 17. teams? 17. 17 teams. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's nearly double the amount of teams, right? And so for us, like those teams would go away pretty fast. And, you know, once we were in playoffs, we'd be in eight team territory. And a lot of the early matches were just stomps or whatever. So it was mostly focusing on like the big name teams, not the kind of semi pro or amateur teams that were challenging them. So I guess I never really had that issue. Uh, but I, I can see it being kind of a wash if you have 17 teams in the league that you're casting so many games on, you know? I know for me, um, one of my favorite things to do as a caster was like explain why a game was interesting. Um, and obviously sometimes the game is just like SKT versus KT and like obviously the game is going to like run away with themselves. You don't need to do anything yeah. to help there. But I guess the advantage I had is I watched every Champions game from the 2012 first season as a fan until I joined the cast um, and then started like narrating them, right? So um, it's always been kind of one of my strengths as a caster to like pick a narrative for a game and kind of like lay it out to the fans why they should be interested and buy in so because i watched you know the premier league and like i'm a big traditional sports fan as well it was kind of a basically like what has led up to this moment for this team and that team like what is their main plot thread at the moment have they been up have they been down are they young are they old what is like their main thing position that position the enemy team and then you know, talk about the meadow, the game, or or not the game at all if it's terrible kind of thing. It's like something I was always pretty good at. So if you have an, 
that extensive a knowledge, like I could still tell you who won every LCK final in order and probably with a game score. Um, that's the sort of thing that just like reverberates around my brain or like is very clearly present there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never found it hard, you know, to to give people a mind. And if I found it hard, I knew that it was time to talk about dumb shit because if I couldn't find <laughs> something, no one was going to be finding something for this fucking game. So it was, uh, it was always easy to just have something to play with. All right, fair enough. Well, um, since you guys are kind of talking about um, some specific series that, that you remember and uh, and that kind of thing, I wanted to go into kind of favorites, right? Obviously, as commentators, you're not really meant to have favorites, but like, I know in your heart of hearts, what the fuck does that mean? I, I'm I'm very clearly like that's a, a shitty that's a shitty mentality. Whatever. Um, I definitely have favorite teams. I wanted to ask you guys. Obviously, uh, Monty, I know you're like a, a big KT fan, right? If I'm not mistaken. I mean, to be fair, that's partially just a meme, right? Because the whole thing was like Doe was the SKT guy and I was the KT guy, so it was just a fun like tool to to play with on broadcast um and you know it didn't bias my casting or anything in any way shape or form uh because clearly i loved watching skt and fake how could you not love watching faker and it's not like i was rooting against faker or anything (laughs) um so it was fun but yeah i mean i am i i do i i see the thing about being a kt fan was it just became funny because of how tragic it was over time right so it, it was it was like a useful i think uh like social media thing and also it was just fun i mean it's just fun for me right yeah so do you guys have any like distinct team or player favorites that were always like not necessarily like i, I mean i think players like faker kind of transcend this category because he's kind of everyone's favorite but like are there any players or teams that are maybe a little less well known I mean- that were very close to your heart so for me, it was like KT Bullets back in the day, right? Ever since uh, like the IEM win that they had and then, uh, you know, the the famous summer 2013 finals where it was kind of like a group of very strategy oriented players versus a group, the SKT team that was very mechanical and based around assassins. Honestly, still a fascinating series from a kind of fast pushing strategy perspective versus an individual assassin outplay perspective super fun play style to watch uh i love score as a player score is probably my favorite player of all time just because i really enjoy his story going from this very kind of elusive ad carry role into maybe the best jungler in the world at times and and having a very solid kind of strategic framework of the game and his whole history is very interesting i obviously love the tigers the coup rocks whatever iteration because what fun personalities they were people didn't realize this at the time but i mean the level of adversity that those guys were facing in korea was absolutely insane the fact that in 2015 they were able to compete against skt with when they couldn't even afford air conditioning for their you know apartment that they were jammed into all like six of them with no fay into like a two-bedroom apartment in seoul and they're just sweating their asses off on shitty pcs like trying to be competitive and being you know number one in the league at time is just extraordinary and they were they were just really fun personalities they were such a joyful team to watch so those are some of my favorites for sure yeah, back in when I was a when I was a fan before I started casting, the the player I resonated the most with was was Dade, um, who obviously people know mostly from his award for like underperforming at Worlds, right? Um, but he was a player who, like, I always appreciated players with arcs that weren't just I was really good and then I kept winning, you know, like kind of like the Faker story is just his like unique talent, right? And 
I'm not someone that really resonated with that. Like I I preferred the up and down stories and like Dade, this idea of like when it was his meta or when his practice was paying off or, you know, in certain situations he was the best in the world, but then a patch would come in and his champs would be nerfed and then he'd be really bad suddenly. Um, and then he had kind of like a couple of rises and falls. Like a lot of people don't know that he started his career as a really hype number one solo queue prospect, um, about the same as Faker was like a year later on CJ Entis, their original lineup. And like, he was super hyped for that team and he was not good. Like that team was not strong. They were very poor. Um, then he went away and then, you know, got resurrected onto the MVP Samsung teams. Right. And had his big rise, then went to worlds and super underperformed. And that's where the data award comes from. And then got basically shunted onto um, MVP blue at the time, you know, like he was, it was very much removing him, him and Dandy didn't work well together. Um, and bringing Pawn, you know, a, a real rookie onto, um, Samsung white, which obviously everyone remembers, but his blue time of like being a more experienced player and his Yasuo, you know, kind of one trick status almost at the time and his small pool of champions having that second Renaissance up again before eventually like his, you know, semi-retirement in China in 2015. Uh, it was a sort of story that I really resonated with. And just like Christopher mentioned, like score, you know, is another player because I think a lot more people recognize what it's like to fail than it is to like ultimately succeed all the time, right? Like a lot of people have a lot of failure in their lives and seeing someone like that persevere, like the perseverance mm -hmm. to continue on as long as he did and then for it all to have that crescendo of the last ever OGN League of Legends broadcast being his final coronation. Um, and then I still go back and, so I'm a very nostalgic guy. I still go back and watch um, his winner's interview where he talks about how he let down all the previous members of KT he couldn't win with and things like that. He doesn't focus on his own achievement at all. Um, and I remember when that broadcast went over, uh, was over, and the fans had left, he was the only person from the playing side still in the stadium, kind of like looking at all the confetti and stuff and like staring at the big screen. Um, and he came over and bowed to every caster, including the English casters. And Alice and I are both crying. Like, it's just such an emotional moment and what it means for him. Um, and obviously what it meant for so many different things, given how much OGM meant to my career um like obviously a really really resonant story res uh, resonant story that people follow and i was a big rocks fan as well like they were a wonderful group of personalities so esports has a lot of stories and definitely you know you don't play favorites on the cast unless it's like a, a tool like it was with christopher mm -hmm. and kt but um obviously everybody has their favorites damn that was a that's a really good story about the, it was a great story the final. yeah um I will yeah. say that I'm still upset that Rookie went to China because holy shit, that pissed We're me awesome. off. <laughs> like, were you were you upset at the time as yeah. strongly because like Rookie was not that good when he left? Yes, he. Oh please, yes he was. He was. He wasn't. He was the good. only part of that KT Arrows team that I actually liked. Wait, you didn't like fucking Cow? Yeah, he was okay. Like Kakao and Rookie were the best parts of that roster for sure. Look, but I'm not I mean, saying I, I hated to have that your team. Love, but I, I hated KT Arrows as a team um, because they're like everything that I didn't like um, in terms of being too aggressive, like taking too many risks, not being the calculated style that I really enjoy. But I do wish that 
you know, selfishly, if we could have had years of the rookie faker rivalry, it would have been mm-hmm. pretty fucking sweet. The that top laner was incredible. pretty good, Christopher. I like that Sunday guy. He was all right. <laughs> <laughs> he was a good Maokai. I mean, I, I will say, if you're not a fan of teams that are, are overly aggressive sometimes and perhaps not the <laughs> optimum macro strategies, you probably didn't like too much where Rookie ended up either. I know, right? Uh, Tell me about it. Tell me about it. <laughs> Rookie doesn't believe in so, that anymore. So, it, so in 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 my in my perfect world, right? Like Rookie stays in Korea, then the Tigers, you know, get rid of. Kuro and they all go to KT, <laughs> right? Because Kuro was a hundred million percent the problem with the Tigers and why they were never going to win a title. Hey, 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 that was the jungler first, then it was Kuro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, imagine if we had fused like Kakao and Rookie with the Tigers in 2015. That would have been fucking sweet, but we didn't get that. So I am still sad he left. That's that's the one player that makes me the most frustrated that went away because. I feel like the faker rookie rivalry in LCK would have been absolutely insane for like the next five years. The pivot points that were lost were the Apto faker rivalry that never could happen. Oh and my the, God. Don't even talk. That and, upsets me so much. And then much. the faker, and then like you say, the faker rookie rivalry, because 2015 was definitely obviously a, a soft year in talent because everyone went to the LPL, but especially in mid, where it's like the second best mid laner. Nagne. In, and the LCK was either Kuro, who could only play in regular season, or Nagne, who was <laughs> not very good. Christ. So it was a, it was it was a, a very soft year in terms of uh, talent. In fact, the most interesting mid laner that came up in 2015 was in summer, Crown came back from Brazil and started playing on a very bad uh, Samsung Galaxy lineup. But he had a bit of flair about him. He, his Yasuo, um, amusingly, was very good back then. He played some like unique champions. Like there was something about him, and obviously he went on to have success. But the mid lane pool was just terrible. I have to it's say, really, really rough. I feel kind of a similar feeling about LPL mid lane pool right now. When you look at where rookie sits comparatively to the rest of the talent pool, like Knight is obviously the person that immediately jumps to everyone's head as in that conversation. But when mm-hmm. you in that matchup, they don't really go head to head. Knight has kind of always stepped back and gone on to things like the Galio and and kind of moved away from the lane phase entirely. And obviously Do and B is not really like a one V one mid laner. You've got Yagao who Do and B is a world champion all is the about most depressing story of mid lane that's ever existed in League of Legends. <laughs> Open this can of worms. <laughs> Do and B is an exceptional player. That, He's just a very different style of mid laner that, to everyone that, else. The fact that that is real is probably the single thing that tilts me most in League of Legends history. Hey, he's a Korean player. You should be happy about this. Look, just because he's a Korean doesn't mean I like the way he plays the game. It's it's sad. Like it, he besmirches the the Korean mid history. Oh, oh, oh. besmirch is quite the word. Damn, this uh, we're getting some fire. All right. Well, I like doing B anyway. Um, I like players of personality, so doing B ticks all of my boxes. But. Uh... Yeah, I definitely think that when it comes to like rookie versus rivalry kind of thing, Mm. right now in the LPL, I don't think there's anyone. And I mean, Rob, you can probably speak to this better than I can. But it doesn't to to me, it doesn't feel like there's anyone that steps onto the rift and I'm like, all right, this is going to be a fucking bang. Yeah, every time the thing about Knight is like, he's great in a team setting. Like he is a good player, but if you want like outplays, you want to see just the best talent on. The, like on the rift in the mid lane, it's 100% rookie. Like it's it's not even close. And like even when we talk a lot of the times about trying to compare the two, they are very different stylistically. But like rookie is just such a pleasure to watch. Like every time you're just like, there's no reason he should be able to win this. And then he comes out with a triple kill and just like how, why, 
why is this a thing? <laughs> the things I always loved with Rookie were, um, like for example, there was a long period where people thought Yasuo was a Syndra counter because you could just win World Alt, right? So there was like no kill threat onto you theoretically, but Rookie was the only person who was like pressuring, you know, every Q is on Yasuo, so he's never at a health value where it matters if your ult's going to connect or not, right? Like he was able to pilot matchups that people classically thought of a single way and be like, no, like there's a way to win it, I'll show you. Um, and the one time I feel like that did come together with um, Knight in particular was the Zoe Galio matchup, I think in 2018, where people thought like Galio could sustain through, but like Knight was so aggressive in terms of his like lane trades against rookies Galio that he was able to actually get solo kills in a matchup that was a lot more 50 50 in Korea, where there was like less aggression being shown in lane. So I think there's definitely times where Knight has shown the same kind yeah. of like transformation of a matchup like rookie was able to in a different one but i i'm with you with it in like in the past couple of years especially as this idea of the doinby like mid laner has become more and more prevalent there's too many times where you'll get the two names you want but not the like matchup yeah. you want right very rarely is it ultra skill matchup at the highest level between the best players it's usually one of them's on, you know, the Galio-esque duty, and the other one's on the "Are you getting enough turret plates?" duty, and that's yeah. less sexy compared to like what it looked like in kind of like 2013 through 2016. I do just want to add a small bit of context. I, I wasn't trying to say for anyone at home that misinterpreted. I wasn't trying to say Knight isn't a good player or anything like that. But uh, it's like you say, uh, Papa Smithy, where if you get Knight on Zoe, he's exceptional. If you get Knight on something like the Oriana, he is going to dominate the game but it's the choices that they're making during the draft against a player like Rookie. It's like they're opting out of that entire matchup, mm-hmm. uh, at least in this year. Um, but I, I do think one thing that's going to be quite interesting is going into this following year, as you just mentioned how like there's kind of this roaming mid laner style, certainly extremely prevalent in the LPL. With the new items, with the way that lethality is exceptionally strong right now, um, it's very possible that we do... Like, if balance changes go the way that I would like them to go, we could have, like, an assassin meta coming in. And maybe we do have a little bit more of that kind of, you know... So many of the highlight moments over the years are champions like Yazeds, champions like, you know, Ari, Talon, these kind of ridiculous assassins that can one-shot someone and make these insane outplays. I would love for that kind of meta to come back in because it feels like so long since we've had a world's meta that included... These these champions that can make just individual outplays and and maybe it's just that the the level of the game is too high for one person to truly destroy like that. But I think that with the new items, maybe we actually have an opportunity for for the matter to shift in that direction once again. I don't know if Christopher and I are the best to talk about the new items, right? Let's obviously, he's, <laughs> we're, we're not. Both sure. <laughs> one question like, I will: the new the new items that I'm sitting here, I'm in, like, I have been trapped in London in Counter Strike world <laughs> yeah, for enough, the last month. Now, I will, you know, give once I get back and out of Flashpoint, I will be diving into all of that mm-hmm. for sure because I'm very curious. But I have literally no experience playing the game because I've been stuck in Europe for this entire time. Uh, what I will ask you stuff. though, Monty, is like, do you? Like looking back at the like season three meta, which was like faker one shots to support every time they try and do anything, right? It was kind of what happened. There a lot of picks onto support. Sure. It was kind of the big thing with Ari and Zed. Was that good meta? Like, do you have much thought about what that meant for like the game competitively or to watch? Because I feel like to me, that's like before I started thinking about the game on terms of like a star sure. ratings kind of like quality. So, like, 
do you, is there a yearn for that? Because what I will say is that from what I watch of the latest games, everyone's an assassin and everyone can blow people up really fast. So I, I feel like we get everyone playing assassin sometimes with the amount of damage in the game. So I don't know how, I don't know if you look back on season three wistfully, apart from the nostalgia of it. I do in some ways. And the reason why is, so there is a very famous game uh, between SK Telecom and uh, at the time MVP Blue, which was going to be many famous players like Acorn and Hart and and Deft were on this roster before they became good, basically. Mm-hmm. And in that game, that was the first time that Faker had really unlocked the potential of LeBlanc. Now, this was in LeBlanc was when Deathfire Grasp existed in the game, so you you truly could and like, you know, their their hearts basically like playing. Uh, no, it wasn't Hart. Um, Hart was playing jungle in that game. He was uh, he was playing under a different name at the time. But the support player um, was playing Zyra in that game on MVP Blue. And Faker was basically just farming him, just like one-shotting him with Deathfire, Deathfire Grasp. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of split because the thing about support at the time was obviously low income. You had to spend your money on wards because vision was unlimited. So... From a viewer and storytelling perspective, I will say that that was very fun because being able to set up Faker as this like impossibly good player that could just destroy people on the rift. Now, this team, MVP Blue, surrendered at 20 minutes in a professional game because (laughs) Faker was ass blasting them with LeBlanc so hard that they just quit the game, basically. (laughs) Extraordinary achievement uh, in professional scene. Like, tell me the last time you guys saw a surrender in a professional game. Well, it's actually it's against the yeah. rules now, right? They ha- they actually made rules for that reason, wasn't it? I mean, I don't was, know what the current rules are. There was a there was a famous surrender at Wills, and then beyond that, didn't they like change the rules specifically? I mean, I think teams should be allowed to surrender. I think it yeah. makes for excellent storytelling. I and I think like, why do I sit here? And if if my team is tilting and I'm the captain, and I'm like, we just need to get out of here and talk about the next game. I think it should be an option. That's right? the thing That's that stupid. always got me from League of Legends because I started off playing StarCraft before I moved into oh, League yeah, of Legends. Yeah, like, I time. loved the GG at the end of it. Like that was the hype moment. That was the he's done it kind of moment. Yeah. And I think I missed that a lot coming into League of Legends was just yeah, that as a game, you just watch them bleed out for the next 15 minutes yeah. and just getting slaughtered. And you're like, this isn't fun for anyone. Like I miss that GG moment of hearing the cast just lose it as the game goes. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it's a great part of esports that we have because most sports are zero sum games when it comes to time. Like you have to let the time run out in esports. The game could last theoretically forever. Most esports, I will say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so why not allow people to tap out like UFC style when they're done? Like, do I, do I really, you know, if I was watching UFC, here's the real question. Do I really need to see that man's face be beaten into, you know, a pulp until he's unconscious? Or should I allow that man to tap out with dignity? I think the answer is the latter. So, you know, but it feels like in League of Legends, sometimes that's what we're watching. So anyway, this is all to say it was a surrender that was allowed at the time. Um, And so I do think that there was an excitement, not as a player, but as a viewer of the game that mid lane could carry so hard because that sets up star player narratives like you wouldn't believe and faker solo carrying which was the core of the narrative in in 2013 of world league of legends was faker carrying right and so we could say that faker would never have reached his level of fame without 2013 and his dominance in korea and especially at the world championship in 2013 
Now, the way the game is set up now is that mm-hmm. because they don't want support players to either not play support positions because they have to fill out the queue or because they want every player to have a meaningful experience within the game. If I'm queuing up, then they're not going to, they, they've had, they figured out ways to give support players free income, free HP so that they're not going to just get one shot by a mid laner for the most part. Right. So mm-hmm. I do think that that is good for the player base, but it's not good for the viewer of the professional scene and building up narratives. Like we shouldn't pretend that in sports, every position has the same ability to determine the outcome of the game. And I think that's an interesting thing for me to kind of like jump off of, because when you're talking about this yearning for like the big outplay from the Zed, are you yearning for stars like this guy is the main player on this team yes. and he carries because that's about not creating these narratives you know, right that is not what league of legends is anymore no like, it very not. much is like everybody has a 20 percent share and yep. out of the 100 percent um which is good what, for players it's yeah, good that's for what the, the game, players it's what the game was moved towards but there's kind of interesting like launching points from this for example can you be an explosive star like you could as a mid laner in 2013, even in social media or as a personality, if like you really had a 20% share in the game or a 25% share no. if you like funneled resources. The answer is potentially not. You know, no, that's you the can't. Thing that's, what I, like, that's my point. That's my point is that Faker without that meta, and by the way, Faker was the, the catalyst for Riot to nerf all of this shit. Like mm-hmm. if Faker has, had, like, Riot literally changed the game to nerf Faker. I mean, because if you think about it, doing it, the year I, later, they changed the game to nerf Mata with all his control ward yep, spamming yep. at Worlds. I mean, in future years, they nerfed the Korean playstyle of risk averseness from yep. removing wards. Like, yep. I think that's in general been, you know, they've tried to change the game every year and they managed to do that at the competitive level too. You think back to the lane swap meta and the things that were done to change. But kind of getting to where we are now like that's the that's the question i'm asking you is are you yearning for zed to one shot people because i feel like a lot of people can one shot people are you yearning for stars in Correct. a way that the game yeah. isn't really the set way up I, to I, like, I am i am anymore. yearning i am yearning for positions themselves to be imbalanced in some way so that we can drive better player narratives and a player has more control and that's still true in mid lane due to the position of the map but, but it's less true than before. It's way before. less true than before. I think the bigger thing for me is like, I want to be able to bring back those like career defining plays. Like we're talking about yeah. Faker. I'm on the, I know you're part of it was like the Faker. What was that moment? Like, I feel like at the moment it's those outplay potentials where you really get to show your stuff. Now, whether it's mid lane or whatever it might be, like I want that to be brought back at the moment. It feels much more about, Hey, look, this team is playing very well and they're playing very cleverly around the map and everything. But I still feel like there isn't that same wow factor when I look at someone and go, Holy shit, I actually couldn't do that. Like that is, yep absolutely insane do you know the the funny thing to me is that i was during this conversation i'm trying to think of some of those plays from this year specifically that that are like that and the first one that came to my mind was the knight leblanc play that happened to msc i forget which team it was against yeah you know where he's like dipping around the fight and just annihilates everyone (laughs) and the irony of that that being the example that comes to my mind is it goes back to the idea of supports essentially having to be the sacrifice for these plays because the support is playing a Yumi. 
The support <laughs> is it's just like Faker point five attached on the side to make this play possible in the first place. So I mean, I, I'm I'm also incredibly biased about this topic because I'm an NFL fan, right? And I grew up with American football. And American football, like I don't care if you are the best fucking player at your position, you are never going to be more important than the quarterback is, mm -hmm. just because that's how the game works, right? And it's like baseball too, like. Baseball is a team game, but 90% of it is between a pitcher and a batter. Therefore, the most important player on that team is the pitcher, period. Like, that's why we have star pitchers in baseball. And I don't mind that dynamic. But at the same time, I understand why the average gamer wants to go, like, the way that we consume, this is, a, this is I mean, we can get into a whole fucking rabbit hole on, like, esports game theory. But basically, the reason why we are in this kind of shitty position as as esports fans is because esports are still contingent on people playing the game. OK, mm -hmm. now most sports fans do not actively play the game, so it's much more compelling for them to say, hey, this this quarterback or this pitcher is absolutely fucking dominating. Right. And that's a fun story for me as somebody who doesn't play the game to fall. It's much more compelling. But for most players, if you if if you watch the esport because you're trying to learn how to be better at the game instead of just appreciating it purely as an entertainment product, right? Then I'm not going to play the game if I have to play support and I'm just getting blown the fuck up by a mid laner or I feel like, oh, I don't have the most impact in this position. Like Riot is absolutely doing the right thing for the player base, but mm -hmm. it is objectively objectively the wrong thing for the professional scene because you cannot build player stories player narratives in the same way that you could in many traditional sports that are very very effective and i think it's it's such an interesting um juggling game and it's one they've been playing ever since they kind of understood okay like for example the game being balanced on pro hasn't always been an adage of right right it's definitely been more and more so in in more recent years but the end result is is you have situations where like I said, pretty flat power curve. The most you have is like 80 carry is a really important role in the late game. Jungle and support, really, really important in the early game. But then, you know, people will be like, I hate, you know, you hear all the people complaining about jungle agency and things like that because they're the unknown variable, right? And because they can be um, so hard to keep track of. And that's the thing is like they, they have pushed it towards that pretty flat power distribution. Uh, and that means that individual stars, like we've alluded to, are pretty hard to build up, but it does mean that everyone's having meaningful gaming experience. But the end result is that you end up being impressed with teams, you know, like combinations of five players and how clean they are together in, I, I think I called it combat problem solving. It's like, it's very much a jigsaw puzzle, League of Legends, where it's about prio and tempo and what you're expecting, anticipating the enemy to do, and thus what you're doing. And if you're 30 seconds ahead of every decision, you're going to win every fight because you're just in position to do damage, and they aren't. And that is can lead to very nice-looking League of Legends, but if your goal is, like, people are focused on the mid lane or a star here, it's, yeah. it's not there anymore. And I think Monty will appreciate this one comment, is back in the day, support was, like, equivalent of the dog roll, right? Like, you got no resources, you made the most of it, no one wanted to play it. If they had roll queue back then, support would have been, like, the negative queue yes. time almost. Like, somehow you'd be paid to, like, jump into it. And the reason why I bring that up, yeah, a lot of people know this, but people always talk about how, like, Mad Life made support sexy. Like, back then, even in this meta, he was transcendent. And the reason why that was so unique is like we've had great support players since and when people talk about who are the greatest support players of all time 
they're going to index towards newer names, right? Because a lot of people weren't watching back then. So they'll talk about Mickey and other really great players. But the thing to consider is the amount Mad Live changed a narrative when his role had nothing. Like his role was like he was the you, best you, player you in all of League of Legends fail, right? before Faker debuted. He was the best player in the fucking world on a role where you got nothing. Like the game was like kind of acting against you. So like imagine comparing his transcendent performance with nothing to the role, obviously having a lot of front ended power in the last couple of years, and then playing well in that context. And it's it's so different, right? It's almost like he was playing soccer without shoes, you know, football without shoes. And then everybody else has like cleats and really nice equipment now. It's so different. So that's people who've been around for the entire, know the entire context. You just sit there and you're like, no, you just don't get it. But it's like, of course they don't, right? Like, like you say, every year the viewership is, you know, more and more new faces. And the amount of people with 10 years context on the game is, is going to be understandably limited. Yeah. And, it, you know, we can compare it to other esports as well that have kind of different star dynamics, right? Because at least w what was so exciting about StarCraft in terms of star player, like, I mean, StarCraft Brood War, not StarCraft 2, because it was okay, but StarCraft Brood War is really just like the god tier esport. Mm -hmm. And what was so compelling about it was because the game itself was so horrible to play that you could only really be ever 80% good at it. So you, every pro player, had to make conscious trade-offs of like, am I going to macro or micro more? So the the styles were all super unique, right? And you're dealing with all these strategies. And so you could really build up um, excellent storylines surrounding these players because they all had such distinct styles. Um, and the other thing that is, is great is like, so for example, Counter-Strike is a game where everybody just has the same access to everything. You know, no one is theoretically more powerful than anybody else, right? But the Some key... sides are favorite though, right? Like T-side and CT-side. Sure, but like I'm that. talking about individual players. Yes, mm -hmm. and not by much anymore. Like, sure, we can have that argument. Yeah. But the point is, is that here's how they solve the star problem in Counter-Strike. Okay, so everybody has the same abilities. Well, you're on an even playing field with everyone else. So if you're getting three kills, well, all of a sudden that's impressive, right? And you could really build that up. There are also roles in Counter-Strike, so that helps build these narratives. But what's really key about Counter-Strike is that it's a shared economy so that if I if I'm on a team and the guy next to me is way better than me, well, I can buy him the best gun and I will take shit. Like if we don't have enough money to buy for everybody, I can literally give that the guy next to me the ability to carry this game and yeah. say like, hey, hey, buddy, the burden's on you now. I am buying you this op and I'm going to take a deagle and you got to perform on this. Otherwise, we lose. <laughs> And which I is incredible. The, right? the obvious question, Monty, is is what would league be like if, if there was a shared economy? Would everyone Thank play you. Master Yi Kale? Thank well. you. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. So I would be very curious as a as a you know we've already had funnel right and funnel felt really bad when we had it. <laughs> funnel did feel really bad when we had it, but at the same time, I do wonder what league would be like with some element of shared Lulu I actually running have... around with Kale running around le is... Tarek level six alts and then some very over level six <laughs> items. This is an idea I've right? already had previously with I think the perfect way to nerf Orn so he wasn't ever present in professional without nerfing his stats would be that he has to spend money on the item upgrades that he gives to the team. And that would be kind of a, a similar idea to this where it's like you you sacrifice that player to to buff up your other players which is just also, a random 
I'd also like to say real quick, they've just introduced an item that if you kill someone, you go invisible. So I've mm -hmm. seen clips of like <laughs> Master Yi, e, fed as all hell, who just like queues, goes invisible, waits for the queue to come back up and kill. So if you funnel that, I feel like we're getting into dangerous territory here. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm just saying that these are other games that yeah. do, in, I would say in the current moment, do individual star building better than league of De legends does mm -hmm. i mean counter-strike has insane advantages in many ways compared to other esports um it's far more likely to be watched by people who don't play the game which means that you can do a lot more with uh the kind of star building around it um because i think everybody who watches esports like if you watch league of legends you'll also tune into a counter-strike major Hey, you're you're a Dota fan? Well, you're watching Counter-Strike 2 sometimes, you know. It's it feels like everybody in esports like converges on Counter-Strike for major tournaments in a way that just yeah. doesn't happen in in other parts of the industry and it's because it's super easy to watch. Um it's the easiest esports to watch by a la large large margin for the average person. I, I think the closest comparison is maybe TI, but even with TI people will be like, "Oh, no, TI no, is on. They'll watch for a, 10 minutes and they'll be like, dude. "Okay, I can't no, watch No, no, this that's anymore. a that's a fucking lie. So, I I have watched every TI since I think TI two. Okay, I don't understand yeah, anything no. about what is going on in Dota. Okay, like I watch it because I'm part of the industry, but I sit there and I'm like, I have no clue what is happening. Whereas in Counter Strike, everyone can understand what is. Yeah, happening. he shot him in the head pretty good. Exactly, and that seems to be gooder yeah, exactly. on that side than that good shot. Yeah, then yeah, they're I like everybody's it. like asleep for five seconds, and then like the BKB is coming in, and they're like popping out of it. And like I'm like, what the fuck's happening? I have no clue. It's just like I don't know, like ships like flying across the screen. It's <laughs> confusing. Yeah, I have to say on 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 the topic of of other games, and you mentioned how Counter Strike does a really good job of building up star players. I think that. One of the most interesting, certainly as someone, I, I used to cast Counter-Strike a, a long while ago, so I have a, a relatively good knowledge of the game. One of the most interesting things about Counter-Strike to me is the way that rosters are built, because it's very, very different to League of Legends. In League of Legends, there's an extent to which you'll have a star player in a role and the team will play around them. But as, as we're sort of saying earlier, that's definitely becoming a less important factor within league of legends is still important but comparatively to counter-strike when you look at players like simple for example he's actively chosen to stay on navi for years now all right i mean that's he, well you know with, within within reason but like there are there are a lot of examples of players that are star players with less star teammates because they need to have players that are there to set no i okay so in simple i think it's partially because he wants to be on a russian speaking team you know, in Ukraine, like there's, there's like other reasons why people do that. Right. Um, and simple was on team liquid previously to be fair. Uh, but I, I think that in counter-strike because communication is so important to counter-strike, like when you have freeze time and you're basically calling plays because every round is like a, a an NFL play, right? Where you you're talking with your teammates, yeah. being like, "No, we need to make these adjustments." In terms of in-game communication, Counter Strike is by far the most difficult esport because the game is literally frozen, or you're taking timeouts in game to be like, "No, we need to adjust this strategy." Right? It is it it is the most similar esport to a real sport, um, and so I think that that makes it so that language is way, 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 way more important because in other esports like League or, or anything else, sure, you can have a translator out of game, but there's way less communication that's going on in game. 
um, where you couldn't feasibly have a translator and your coach is also in there at the same time, literally in the middle of the game talking to you. So I think it does put a premium on languages that you're comfortable in and same language rosters. I have a little bit of a theory for this is that like, cause you kind of pointed out CSGO there. And I think with regular sports as well is like, when you look at the playing field that everyone is on, it's level, right? I mean, CSGO, you all pretty much get the same guns. I know there's a little bit of difference, but I mean, you're not, your economy is not massively different. It's all kind of the same. Same when I look at an esport like Rocket League, you're all playing at the same level. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, NFL, soccer, like you all, it's easier to then build the star player because everyone's kind of at the same level. The reason you got yes. this massive advantage is because you're really good. And I feel like that's the thing with League of Legends is that it's kind of hard because you're not always going in with the same level playing field. Um, I know there's drafts, there's maybe you got an extra setup to begin with and there's certain things like that. Um, and I like as a tangent to this, partly I think why... I was such a fan of like the blind pick best of fives and stuff. I know strategy wise, it's not the same, but people can still go in on the same champions. It's just like, Hey, look, this thing's giga broken, play the giga broken and see who's better at it. I think to a certain extent that helped in setting up those stardoms because you could actually go, Hey, look, we put these two guys on a level playing field and this guy's clearly just better. Yeah. I I think that's sort of true. I think the way that you present it in terms of sports is, is not, wholly accurate because the yeah, equivalent I don't would be watch like traditional like, sport. So okay. Yeah. Like so it depends on the in the game, right? Like mm-hmm. mid lane and quarterback are gonna have more power just because they're at the center of everything that is happening or making the decisions about what happens on the field of play, right? So there's an analog there. But if you're in basketball and your team just is like, yeah, we're just all go all gonna pass to that guy, like technically you don't have any more theoretical agency than the other four players on the court as you but if you're getting the ball twice as much well you you have twice as many opportunities to score points right so it's more about decisions like counter-strike is more like basketball in that you're making decisions about who gets the resources right whereas in league of legends it's more like the resource distribution is set when you queue up as a mid laner right like you're you're opting into that experience which is much more like the nfl and I think for me, like if I if I think back to this world, right, in terms of like this player was transcendently better than others, it, it's not really something I think about that much at the worlds that I watched. Now I was, you know, ingesting it a lot less closely because I wasn't casting it this year. But then if I think to the the core JJ in houses that he's running at the moment, so core JJ has been running a lot of in houses with comms, and obviously I watched a lot of scrims with comms. The thing that's been most interesting there is I felt his value as a player versus like mostly it's been amateur and other supports that have been playing against them. I've been having like both streams open with comms and then kind of listening to see what I can pick up there. And the actual biggest kind of difference I felt this year is like core JJ versus, you know, insert random support is in just how much of the play core is anticipating quarterbacking, how much of his teammates he's microing where it's important, but not over microing. So he feels like he's babying them or something like so many of these games I'm watching are being won by support difference. And it's not like core has, you know, faker hands from 2013, you know, like he's a good player. Don't get me wrong, but the amount that he's seeing the game and communicating it efficiently is like, he'll have a nine and a half support performance. And only with comms, can I see that someone else is having like a, a three out of 10 support performance in that, like, then it's not like they're like missing all their skills or like missing initiations and stuff. It's just core is creating game states from we need to do this at this time. All of you guys reset now. We need to be there first. 
And if the other support's just not talking, of course, just winning the game. And it's not even visible to the fan who doesn't have the comps. And it's like, that's the kind of nuance we're at at this point where there's a lot of invisible power that players are bringing. The fans will only know from like, maybe if a content piece, piece catches something or if they hear a player talking about it rather than like, I saw that sweet play, that guy must be so good. And and that comes to interesting territory where League is a good esport because when someone makes a play and you play the game yourself, you can say, oh, I want to grind and be as good as that guy. But if it's something as invisible as this, where you have to be watching like an in-house stream to see it, that does take away from the like, aspirational i want to be like that guy it's like much more in a side channel mm. than i think it yeah. was in previous years i think yeah. i think that's a super interesting I, look, topic to bring up as well Sorry, i don't think on. there's a coincidence that league viewership peaked in 2015 and 2016 in the west like, i don't think that's coincidental i think that's when we were much more able to build narratives around x and bjergsen and and these kind of players in LCS and LEC, and there was a really compelling reason to watch them. I feel like those narratives have fallen by the wayside. And I agree that they should have, because not doing that would be disingenuous to the game state right now. Like you would literally be misanalyzing the game mm -hmm. if you were to attribute too much power to one player or one position. Mm -hmm. But it's a it's a it's kind of the way the game is gone. And I like I said, I do think that's good for maintaining a player base. I don't think it's good for exciting uh, it's, like it's, it's entertaining because i know you and i back then you know were kind of expecting the the tail end of a game right and and leak never had that kind of like expected tail end like games used to you know 10 years ago and mm. stuff like that so it says something about just the natural attractiveness of just following league like there's still enjoyment there but i think to christopher's point it's like what would cause another boom and you might say, okay, your games don't have booms this late into their time because of player base and stuff. I don't know that applies to League as much because the player base is huge. But like, what is the signal that the person on the outside flocks in droves to League? And well, it kind of has to be something like that. We, we've already we've already Wild seen this in, in other. No, God, please. <laughs> I'm actually um, semi-serious. Like the, the uh, Southeast Asian market is going to be a lot of eyes suddenly on League of Legends. You've had, you have had a lot to drink anyway. Uh, <laughs> I've just had a lot of vainglory. Right? <laughs> I've had a lot of vainglory. I actually love mobile esports, but that's not the point. Um, but basically, I, I don't know. Like the thing that you have to remember is so in StarCraft Brood War, this is like the prototypical game that we've had. We have a history of looking at and we can say, oh, there were certain peaks and troughs within the viewership of this game because we've had 22 years of this game being played professionally to look at. OK, and you can say that even 10 years into a game, almost 10 years into a game when Flash started to become huge, that the Flash Jadong thing started to arrive like 2000, 2008 basically ish and so that rivalry and flash's kind of arrival onto the scene 10 years after brood war came out sparked a massive resurgence in brood war popularity at the time right and so it was really about the player narratives that were that were bringing people back here's another example counter-strike okay people look at counter-strike global offensive now and they say oh wow it's probably the second biggest esport in the world at least in terms of western audience right behind league of legends and you look at it and you say, well, what happened to Counter-Strike? Nobody fucking watched Counter-Strike and Counter-Strike Source. Nobody even watched Counter-Strike at the beginning of Global Offensive. It was very small 
mm-hmm. for the first several years of competition only really started to take off, you know, 2014, 2015. This is when it really started getting legs, but that was years after Go was released, right? And so a lot of this Counter-Strike Global Offensive is the rise is so connected with the NIP 80 plus game win streak. Yeah. And the fact that you saw this Swedish team that was blowing the fuck up and it really caused like this sensation of star building to occur within the game that made it really, really attractive to people, right? And we still see that going today as one of the reasons why CSGO is so attractive. Like, look at the last year. Look at Zaiwu coming out of Vitality. This guy, you know, it's funny, Thorin is an entire other sidebar, but we've been talking about it here because he's here with me in in London. Um, but one of the cool things about Zaiwu as a player is he was literally born on the day that Counter-Strike released as a box game, like as the wow. game to be sold on its own. And so Thorin was tweeting the other day, you know, let's call him the game, like literally give him the nickname, the game. Cause he was born on the day the game was released in retail, <laughs> which is, by the way is fucking sick. Like objectively, <laughs> like, yes, we will call Zaiwu the game. Yeah. Right? But the fact that this guy was born on the day the retail game was released and in the last year became one of the top two players in the world is such an extraordinary story and is so compelling to follow, right? And I think there's an extra thing there as well where you can bring in that conversation of similarly to Brood War where you had, obviously Flash is the, from people outside of Brood War, Flash is obviously the player that is like transcendent of that title in the way that I think if you're a Counter-Strike player that's never played League, you're going to know who Faker is, right? And right now in Counter-Strike, Simple has been that guy for the last couple of years, I would say. Yeah. And there there can now become a storyline where Zaiwu can start to challenge for that title and start to build that rivalry in the in the way that, you know, people like uh, JW were, were having that rivalry. Like Get Right was the guy along the I mean, time Last ago. night, we got, we got Na'Vi versus Vitality in the IEM Beijing finals, and it was a reverse sweep for Zaiwu, like in five games. Fucking awesome. <laughs> god damn i did not know that happened i'm gonna go watch that game after this is done yesterday (laughs) it was a five game series where navi was up 2-0 and vitality won sorry spoilers i guess but (laughs) well you know twitter exists so i knew vitality had won i didn't know it was that good of a series i'm gonna go watch that um but yeah yeah, I, i i i definitely think we've kind of come to an agreement on the overall topic that ultimately I just miss that about players, League. Not the game, right? Like I miss, I miss those stories from like 2013, 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. where we just had these like really epic star players that we were talking about. And like, I just feel that we just don't have that anymore. And unfortunately I feel like all the players who were from that era maintain that level of popularity because people remember what they were. They remember what Faker was and they remember what Bjergsen was and they remember, remember what Rook right? You even remember, you even obviously Caps, right? Caps yeah. plays the game with a lot of mid laners and I think that is something that catches the eye and all the accolades that come with it. But I agree with you that it's much harder to find that individual expression and thus individual stardom compared to, to previous times. For sure. All right, well... I'm going to uh, shift the conversation forwards a little bit more to to modern times because I want to ask you guys a little bit about uh, what's happening within within the world of League of Legends right now. Uh, and there is a, a question in chat that's actually just caught my eye, which I think is a good question to bring up. Um, what do you guys make of the new LCS format? 
because I was going to ask about rosters and stuff, and we can go into that conversation in a little bit if you'd like. But the has that been announced? Yeah, yeah, it was announced still, a couple of weeks ago. Mooted, I think. Right? It's basically I think it's still this... like rumored, technically. Oh, is it rumored? Oh, I thought there was an yeah. official announcement. Honestly, I was pretty it, sure it, it was. It's not rumored. an official announcement, but we can talk about like the the broad okay, strokes, well, right? The idea. Everything of one that long I've heard about it has been public. If it anyway, were to so... happen, if <laughs> hypothetically if in a hypothetical universe where this rumor was true, in what a world, would you think where... about it. <laughs> hey, fun wearing multiple hats, isn't it? <laughs> but do you have a direct question apart from the just like well, I guess, thoughts, I guess, or? just yeah. What, what's your take on it? Because I think that. There are obviously the the idea behind it, right, is that uh, it theoretically could lessen player burnout. It also lessens the amount of games that don't matter, right? Um, do you agree <laughs> that that happens? Because in my opinion, it doesn't. Hold like there up. are still going to be a ton so of many games assumptions in there. All. Miss me with that player burnout shit. <laughs> no, like, I'm just I'm literally teams, quoting what was said. Most in, in teams the don't even go to the World Championship. Like the player burnout is only an issue if you go to MSI and Worlds. Otherwise, you're just fucking partying for half the year. Like, give me a give me a break here about player burnout. Oh, no, I played for six months and then I didn't go to Worlds and I never had any stress and I'm ninth in the LCS and woe is me on the player burnout. Like, first off, that narrative just needs to fuck off and die. And second off, I think that, the, you know, for the players where it is legitimate, like we should have a reevaluation of the season in which maybe we shouldn't have players who play both splits or like the entire year go to msi go to worlds and then are expected to go to uh you know all stars or whatever to represent as well like the, the difference in workload is like psycho and it, it is true in traditional sports as well oh if you go to the nba finals where you play you play like i don't know up to 28 more games than the next person or like the next team right but at the same time you know it's not like they're getting paid way more money to be star players right so I think burnout's a really specific topic, right? And it has a lot of different, like has it, you know, psychological definitions that I'm aware of, and there's kind of like more narrative sides to it. Um, I think to that, like to your question about this impression of kind of like the one long season and what it means, it does mean that every one game theoretically means less in terms of like whether you're going to qualify for playoffs in spring or not, right? There's, I think there's always this argument of like how much competing goals are there between like trying to win every match and trying to like take risks and, and things like that. And I think those are things, even a year in, I don't feel like I have a huge kind of like specific kind of like answer to. It's still something I'm learning and iterating on. Um, I know that last year we obviously locked our roster until we made one big roster change and then locked that roster. And that didn't feel like the right way to go. Um, and I think this year, a lot of our talk, and we released a Twitter video about this is like, more focused on internal competition and you know striving for this idea of the best performing player in like LCS and Academy is always playing the LCS game and even the specifics around exactly what that looks like and and wh what are the performance goals and is it do you unlock with this level of performance here or is it a relative thing of this guy's overperforming this guy's underperforming that's still conversations that we're going to have now that the roster's locked in to tr truly understand so he what hasn't announced say... the uh, Cash App Thunderdome yet within <laughs> the facility. He's going full <laughs> Australian, you know. He's going full Australian. Free plugs. I love it. I'm loving it. But uh, <laughs> all this sort of stuff is like very specific and things I'm still kind of like learning about. But I think overall, the fact that everyone's playing, um, you know, one long season rather than like 18 games to get to playoff situation, 
as as I understand it from what's public. I haven't even been briefed privately, right? Like, so I actually don't know, but I'll just go on what's been said publicly. Um, I think that does open up this idea that internal competition into results, into vetting that and kind of continuing to to mess around is more real than we have to do it this way because it's always been done that way because this, the season's so short and every game is so important. So I think I have a wacky overall, idea this I see ready? it there. I have a wacky idea. You ready? Wacky idea. I'm listening. What if we didn't uh-huh. have to play a league format at all? <laughs> Revolutionary. No one's ever done uh, that. The game's no called League of Legends. That doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, theoretically, I guess it means sponsors and, and payments and stuff are different. That's that's the gist of it, I think. The counter side is the predictability of the format and the scheduling is very attractive to what if I people told spending you? money in it. That I had designed a format where it mm-hmm. was predictable, but it also wasn't a league format. I would tell you that you were a liar. I w- uh, you would tell me that I run Flashpoint and I've already done it, and uh, it's much more exciting. So, I mean, we we run basically a much more exciting version of what could exist within League of Legends um, at Flashpoint. And do you want to explain to people, Monty, what that is? Sure. From a yeah. league background. Probably a lot of people don't know. Sure. What it is, is it is a series of group stages. So it's a series of micro tournaments where uh, basically all teams are, we have 12 teams and they're all separated into groups of four. So three groups of four. And then they play a double elimination within those groups of four. And then all the the groups then mix up again. So the, the teams all choose each other into these groups. So there's an actual active selection of who their opponents are going to be to build rivalries. And we do that three times in we would next year we would be doing it three times. We're doing it less because of COVID this time. And then at the end, eight teams out of 12 go into a double elimination playoff bracket. Now, the advantage of this is that you actually have things like your final match and you have knockout matches. And also it guarantees every team a certain minimum number of appearances for sponsor reasons, as you say, but it just creates a much more dynamic and uh, interesting format so interesting thing to consider is um i don't know if you've had time to peruse the the changes to academy and amateur in north america yeah, but I have. they are actually taking the soul of almost what we were talking about if we're bringing it back to what we're speaking about earlier specifically around the idea of like masters and, and champions it's going to be single round robin academy so nine games predictable played between the academy teams and academy and amateur tournaments happening at the cadence is still unknown but you know semi-regularly um and some of them will be academy only some of them will be amateur only and some of them will be academy versus amateur so it is kind of all these different um formats interacting and i think that's a super cool way like when it was proposed last year um i was one of the first yeah, people brought in we already had an amateur team and i was like sure yeah that sounds great it's very interesting because obviously academy is wait, a wait, product wait, you is a- like your amateur teams competing in that yeah, I mean, of course, right? Really? Gold Guardians is going down there? Shh. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. We'll leave it to the side for, for now. Us. Leave it to the side. <laughs> um, but to the point, um, that the interesting part of it is that Academy as a product is inherently not very interesting because it's like the bench players versus the bench players, right? Whereas this idea of bringing all the different talent together, finding different ways to tell stories, having more winners, I think is interesting. And if this plays out in a really positive way, 
there's no reason that LCS always has to be the same forever, right? So at least we're going to have a test case that we haven't had since, I guess, 2014 was the last time we had something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just hope for more radical changes, right? There, there really isn't a reason. I, so to set up why what Papa Smithy was saying for people who don't understand is that you're, when you're constructing this kind of structure, you're trying to solve the following problems. First off, well, depends on who you are. I like to make things exciting. That's my number one priority. <laughs> now, the other Some thing you're, so far. <laughs> you're trying to solve for is you're trying to say, okay, each team needs a minimum amount of exposure because, especially in a franchise league, which Flashpoint also sort of is, um, we do have an open qualification component, so it's kind of a hybrid. But you have to provide enough kind of airtime for the franchise team so that they can spell, sell sponsorships, right? And they can say they can go to sponsors and say, hey, we have a minimum number of matches that we're going to play, which will justify your investment because we can guarantee it. Now, pure tournament formats are obviously very bad for that because if you get eliminated in the first round, well, your sponsors get really pissed and then maybe don't renew with you, et cetera, et cetera, right? So you're trying to solve that issue. So you have to create, if you're, you have to figure out how to create a league format that operates according to these principles. Now, American sports just run league formats because they do get, offer that minimum guarantee of, we have this many home games guaranteed where you're going to see this much income from selling tickets and seats and our sponsors are going to see this much money coming into the team. So it does make a lot of sense in order to do things like that. Um, but it's not the most exciting, right? Like you would like to see kind of these little peaks of excitement throughout your season. And so my concern is I do know, aren't they planning to run some sort of mid season tournament with the new alleged format? I'm not, super yeah, familiar this one's the, right the, now it, it is it is um public so that stuff's there but yes it'll be like a i forget the exact name i know at one point they were calling it na grandmasters or something but something along yeah. those lines yes yeah so i do like that about it but i think you can go even further and i think that the mistake that riot has frequently made is that they think so there's a very weird disconnect between people who work in esports almost all of which are traditional sports fan as well. And the esports viewership, almost none of which are traditional sports mm -hmm. fans. So what the, the perception is among people who work in esports, oh, I understand traditional sports, so therefore I will create a system that is like traditional sports because my audience will understand it. When most of the time the truth is the audience doesn't understand any system. So you could put any system in place, even a more exciting one. And they'll still understand it because they're passionate about it. So I tend to opt for very extreme formats or very esports only formats. And I will say, you know, with a touch of arrogance, I am probably one of the, if not the format expert on esports in the world. So I spend a fuck ton of my time thinking about this and dealing with it. And so I have a very good idea about which formats have been used throughout esports history and which ones are active right now and what has been effective in terms of energizing an audience. I was going to ask you, kind of like, because you guys have been around the scene for a long time, obviously a lot of these kind of experiments with formats and viewership and all that kind of stuff took place a couple of years ago. It feels like at this stage, the esports viewer audience and all that has evolved beyond that like do you think it's worthwhile i know obviously you're doing it now i'm onto a flashpoint but do you think a lot of the data that was accumulated is kind of outdated at this stage 
or like do you think that the esports has just evolved beyond what it was four or five six years ago such as no, i think it's still true yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean so there, there there is truth to what riot says about not having best of threes in lcs like from a competitive perspective it's a, a bazillion percent better but from a viewership perspective i understand why they may not want to do that western audiences are less likely to watch a best of three compared to eastern audiences i believe that is true um now selfishly i still want the best mm, Mm. So <laughs> I, I hesitate because I do this show called Summoning Insight and forcing me to watch more LCS best of threes would be painful use of my time. But I do think it's better competitively for the teams and the players in order to improve. I, I'd love to hear where your thoughts on are on this right now, Baba. I mean, definitely as a GM, you know, first time on the team side, you definitely have that thing where you watch 20 scrim 20 plus scrims a week and then like you know your team botches a level one or something and it's like no 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 like we did it in scrims like why is this the only one that matters you know like definitely that's where best of threes is like all right well we fucked that up let's let's reset go back to what we know um so i think from that side it's it's pretty obvious advantage so i would want that um and i think the broadcast stuff is so like i think back to like you know the the decisions that were made based on kind of like what was it 2015 16 17 data when um you know they were running competing streams in na and stuff like that like there were a lot of reasons that viewership went down um and and kind of like circling in on it must have been the best of threes it's kind of like it's one of those things where unlike the scientific method wasn't applied very thoroughly here um <laughs> now result re, re, like relaunching it and just being like all right let's try it again maybe that doesn't matter well, like but the thing is right either the thing is papa is like it's because it was best of threes in a league format. If you have a best of three in a GSL group where it's, you know, somebody's moving into the loser's bracket or somebody's moving into the winner's mm -hmm. bracket, the best of three becomes much more exciting. It's about sure. how you use best of threes, right? That's the, that's the issue here. And I think it's Riot's like the feeling the same. of that. And I agree. I think Riot's feeling the same kind of pressure around everyone who's talking about world's format to change, MSI format to change. Um, and it's, you serve a lot of masters, um, and if you try to serve them all equally, then you end up with like usually an output where you're like, oh, I, I see how I got there, but I, I wish it was different. And I think my impression, not again, having any inside info on this, I'm sure Riot looks at all the people talking about, you know, single elimination and double round robin best of ones at Worlds. And they're like, yeah, I mean, I really wish it was better, but how to do that? What levers to pull? Does that mean that you make everything a shorter amount of time because Worlds drags on for a really long time? What is the correct amount of days between games and stuff like that? Is, I mean, I already I think, solved the world's problem, so. That's true. I mean, you just solve all the problems. <laughs> but you do cause problems too, so. You solve, you solve world's problems. No, 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 Papa, no, Papa. That's not true. I cause problems when people refuse to solve the problems. If they solve the problems, then no problems are caused. It's a very simple system but then you inevitably get fired or let go and then have to go and cause problems elsewhere I, well we'll see this time right <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair i was never actually fired especially from ogn right because like no, they wanted to, they keep me in. to keep you yeah yeah so that it's more that i cause problems with i cause problems with riot because of what i was saying and then they weren't going to invite me to international events and so there wasn't really a lot of career growth there was really and people think that i don't cause problems but i i cause problems too um and funnily enough somebody in this call was around when i caused a problem so i should tell that story 
Munch from yeah, AM Katowice the, the 2017. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, that, there was a I lot of issues this. with that tournament, but the, the thing that I was the most upset about at that tournament was, if you remember the, the casting Did... scenario for how it was going to be when we entered the studio, um, when we were actually in Spodek. I remember we, were, ca- we stood on the studio floor with uh, So if you remember, originally the casting spot was going to be like basically like a talent room in the back with no um, crowd audio. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, it's, and a, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big final, but if fans don't know, if you... If, yeah, it was literally a cupboard. And if fans don't know, if you can't hear um, organically the, the fans reacting live, then there's no way for your excitement to match the fans. So you'll be like, yeah. uh, yes, they're pushing it well. Maybe the fans are losing their mind. And then it just so, sounds what like are you're your a bad thought, what, are, what are your thoughts on uh, casting in the middle of the night from North America for finals that are happening in China? So, I mean, for the finals, obviously, it's not ideal. Like this, one was, <laughs> this one in particular was like, egregious. I get like, you it. Want the I'm final just joking. Okay. Anyway, continue with your story. I just um, on the nose, yeah. but I'll, I'll, get, I'll work through that because it is relevant. Um, but in this case, like we weren't going to, they were going to try to pipe audio, but it wasn't going to be like, Riot got really yeah. good at piping live crowd audio, so you were able to match it. But the reason why I was upset is, is that I, I, I was talking to, um, you know, ESL Live, so Joe Miller was there. Um, and it was like, it's going to sound like we're bad casters because we can't match the crowd because we can't hear the crowd. So it's going to come off as bad technique. Um, and that was when I was still, you know, auditioning for riot events and stuff like that. Like I wasn't an auto include or anything. And everyone there was an aspiring caster trying to hit the level. Like uh, the officio tier casters had all rejected that tournament. So I was like crumbs myself and then. A lot of people who are now well known, like Vedias, Frost, Munch, and things like that. Um, and basically, I told Joe Miller, like, I refuse to cast this final of this event if you want me to do it, because this is not an acceptable compromise. You need to make this better, or I'm opting out of casting this event because it's just not correct that we should be subjected to this. And they ended up changing it, and we ended up having the ability to have crowd audio because we were just casting like behind a curtain on the backside yeah. of the stage or something. But you, you have to choose your moments to cause a ruckus. Otherwise, every fan would listen to my cast of the final or whatever match I did there and be like, oh, why is Papa not into this game? Or like, this cast is not good. And to be judged for something that you knew was not correct, uh, but still be vetted as if it was, like the exception, no one sees the like apology or the, the asterisk, right? They only hear it live is not correct. So you definitely have to choose your battles for things like that. And to Monty's point, eventually, crowd piping in got pretty good so you are able to do those like organic enough remote broadcasts but there's always there's always times to cause a ruckus christopher just causes more ruckuses than most (laughs) yeah i I will say time to come back from the bathroom that's uh thanks to you actually uh that was the thing is you know the weird thing papa is like every time i cause a ruckus i just end up making more money so it's it's like a weird thing where i've been like perversely incentivized to make ruckuses because like every time i'm done making a ruckus i'm like well is my career over and then somebody else is there with like a giant sack of cash like would you like this and i'm like come make a ruckus over here (laughs) you were saying much i I was just gonna say yeah thanks to your your uh essentially arguing with esl um that was the first time and since then the only time really that i've been able to do a a massive stadium event like that with a crowd because we would have done that this year but covid <laughs> fucked everything yeah so, um 
but like we were like the, there was the the stage was obviously massive anyone that hasn't seen iam you can go and look at pictures the the stage in the spodek is like half of the fucking arena basically huge. um and there was the analyst desk to the right of the stage and then there was like this kind of black curtain here and just on the other side of this curtain was the caster desk so we weren't out in the audience like some of the other events that you've seen but mm-hmm. You could, you were still like in the arena. You could still feel the force. You could still feel the ground fucking move because there was a Polish team there as well. H2K was playing uh, with Jankos yep. in the team. And yep. every single time Jankos did fucking anything, the crowd just went ballistic because it was free and tickets. I mean, there's well. casters so now just that packed. don't know that stuff much. That's the interesting thing is like so much of broadcast is now remote. And as you guys, when you guys finally start getting to stadium events, because one of the big upsides of OGN and doing. Uh, LCK and Hearthstone is there was just a lot of you know live big stadium events and yeah. we had a studio crowd as well so between the two riding off the crowd like the highs you feel off a big stadium final are those are the things that I miss from casting like those are the things you're like wow if what did it feel like to be on Madison Square Garden for Rocks SKT and stuff like the rush of that is now just going to be less present because I think going forward especially for League very very few stadium events will have in-person casting. It's, That's one of the things I've been missing. Sorry, go on. Dave. One of the things I've been missing is that, like, I did EU Masters, but that was, you know, a relatively small place and we were kind of separated. So, um, you know, ne- I've never actually cast in front of a live audience. Now, I'm, del- like, I'm excited too, but it's definitely something when I hear, like, veterans like yourselves talk about it, it's something that I definitely realized, like, I have never got to experience and to, that's going to be a different beast when I do get to that level. Well, I, and, you know, I can say from somebody who, is currently in a position where I can actually control things like this, that I believe that all casters should be in person at stadium events. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, obviously I have the unique perspective of being the first caster to ever reach commissioner status in esports history. So I have a different perspective on yeah. how we should operate the broadcast, how we should operate production and what is, effective for casters than most other people yeah i i agree completely and i think it's like it like from my perspective i've done a lot more since i am and, and I, from a casting perspective i am was really not a highlight of my career like in in hindsight looking at how i cast at that event versus what i've been able to do this year like from a career perspective this has been a far better year for me but in terms of like the emotional payoff of that event and like what mm. that event meant to me and a huge amount of that is because of the the experience of casting in a stadium that is still far and away the the peak of of and i'll say that like it's not me. like you're going to like um what i will say is that like studio casting like you know the the, the more in person kind of the, the stuff you guys are used to is still something i miss but it's a different rush you know like the casual talk, the like the mm-hmm. fun of it, like that's still a really cool thing. Um, but to like have both those experiences, right? The like the casual fun moments, but also the rush of of what a studio, what I say, what a stadium final is like, like that's the kind of variety that I think mm-hmm. the reason the reason why I bring it up is like it's almost like that's the crescendo your seasons should reach, you know? So like you have the studio stuff week in, week out, which feels like the day job, and then you have the like ah, uh, this is why I do it, you know, and like twice a year, three times a year, whatever it ends up, that kind of like variety of pacing is I think what kept casting so fresh is because you were like always four to six months away yeah. from like that really like 
that moment that you you remembered what the rush that, felt like. that's the carrot on the end of the stick right that's the, yes the, the thing that's tugging the donkey along i mean i also i also think that in a certain way it's kind of a lack of imagination about what the live experience can be because i feel like if you've reached the place where the conclusion is that the casters don't have to be there then why aren't you coming up with fun ways for the casters to interact with the crowd monty died out or really oh, be oh, additive to that experience right uh-oh did i go somewhere you, you a little bit there, dipped yeah. all the way through the sentence yeah. no no, no. Yeah. What, what i was saying is like i feel like if if you've reached the conclusion of the caster shouldn't be on site then i think you are not creatively thinking about how much the them being on site could be additive to the total experience so or how they could be interacting with the important the note remember that um the first language casters are basically always going to be on site it's sure, the second yeah, language yeah. casters that the english broadcast usually is that you're right like there's definitely some framing stuff to think about there but if it is first language like if we were you know doing world's finals in north america i'm 100 percent certain you know outside of crazy COVID stuff that it would be in, oh yeah in yeah for sure but I, I think even if you're not necessarily the first uh you know the first language casters on site there's so much you can do that's interesting like for example, one of the things that I pitched to Riot on, on numerous occasions that eventually became the blind spot, which is our post-game show on Flashpoint where we're in a bar, basically, it's a, it's a bullshit bar segment, um, was I said, hey, you know, while we're traveling around all these other countries, why don't we just rent a bar in each of the cities? Because Worlds is wonderful in the way that it moves from city to city and you kind of get a flavor of yeah. all these different locales. So why don't we rent a bar for the post show in each of the cities so that we can actually show local flavor? So even if I'm not necessarily the primary language caster, let's say we're in China or Korea, well, maybe we have like, you know, we're in different locations in China where we're doing the post show, or we're having a drink and, you know, having traditional Chinese alcohol, you know, we're, we're having the baiju or whatever, and we're talking about it, or we're eating the food or we're, we're, we're making it more because that's something about, I love about esports is that the travel element and like the, that you get to see all these different cultures and like experience in them vicariously as a fan. So I feel like there's always things you can do in order to kind of bring that reality home and, and create more compelling content. So baby, the boys for Shanghai Worlds. Yeah, I mean, exactly. yeah, we're <laughs> no, like, exactly. Like, like why, why couldn't we? You know, when Worlds was in Shanghai, in a non-COVID time, obviously. Yeah. Um, but mm -hmm. wouldn't it have been fun to have like the LPL casters like selecting like their favorite look, their favorite bars? You rent them out and you you have a drink there and you know bullshit about the games after they're mm -hmm. over. And you're like, this is why you know this is what I love about Shanghai. And I think you know fans love that. I would love it. Yeah, as a viewer, that that that's my favorite kind of content as well—the more relaxed, like, yeah, content. But it's also so um, it's so much different to the standard content that you get when, especially if you're in in a place that it's a different idea, it's a different area. Like production-wise, it can be a challenge, obviously, filming in places like bars and that. But generally speaking, it's doable. <laughs> okay, <You're like> <laughs> I think it's pretty doable, <laughs> personally. Well, I've I've had some horrific experience. You've maybe worked oh, with less year. Chinese production crews than I have, but um, <laughs> I have I know what you're talking about. Let's uh, we're not going to go further than that. Uh, I'm just going to say I know what it's like doing events in China. We say. had a we tried to do one podcast in a, a place <laughs> that was out in the open, and the cook came out of like 
three quarters of the way through and started yelling at one of the staff. I mean, that's, and it was just to be fair, that's part of the experience. True, true. Like, objectively, if that happened in a world's poster, it would be fucking hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> it would, yeah. <laughs> if there's drinks involved, then it's suddenly a lot looser and that kind of stuff is uh, easier to... Anyway, th- this is just th- these are just ideas, but I, I do think that there are ways to get real interesting value out of those kind of those kind of experiences and i think that a lot of the time um people just aren't thinking about it or they don't want to put the extra effort into making that reality happen mm-hmm. um and i think it's a, i just think it's a shame because i think that what's so cool about esports is that we're truly an international entertainment system and so when we have the opportunity to show off other cultures or foods or anything like that, we should definitely jump on those opportunities because that's part of the reason I got into esports was not only my love of sports, my love of competition, but because of my love of travel. And I think that it is, you know, if you, it's way more interesting if the viewer hears, hey, we're going to head out for this post show into Shanghai, come join us for like a night on the town, than it is like, here I am on the couch again, talking about the League of Legends. Because even though we all enjoy the analytic aspect of the game, like, let's be real, 90% of the plebs don't give a fuck. So you have to give them some other, like, hook to get mm-hmm. them involved. Hook the plebs. Christopher Monk, Christopher Monk. <laughs> sure. 2020. Yeah, so reel, reel the plebs um, in. I will say that one thing I'm sad for a lot of casters, and obviously, you know, you two are also trying to like get yourself onto world's broadcasts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was cool to see that Lyric was able to backdoor his way on is that um, after 2017 worlds was kind of like the, the watershed moment where it was not send all the best NAEU China, Korea people to the event. And then you're in China for a month or you're, you know, you're traveling the world. Now it is much more, you're doing it in, you know, either one location where everyone flies to or this year everyone was separate right and that was an ability to mix up pairs and i hope the reflection from this year isn't just do that COVID or not you know never have the cool casting pairs you know of like um you know i, I really loved casting with uh, captain flowers and deficio right so like k-r-e-u-n-a going on there um and i think it's it could be right like there's always budgetary things there's travel yeah, things I, like if we're not if you could do like like for example this year if it wasn't covid they could have done um dagdun munch go to bars in china and not flown over anybody internationally to true, do it yeah. and the reason why i bring it up there's the one thing where it's like okay the cost of housing everyone for a month and paying for them like for sure that's relevant and like it's always budgetary stuff but the other thing is is that the feedback from 2017 worlds for the english broadcast was is that people wanted to go home as fast as possible and were relieved when their shift was over. Um, and maybe that's the collective burnout of many, many international tournaments and time away from home. Maybe that's just everyone maturing and being in different points of their lives and missing their loved ones and stuff. But there's always this like, um, you know, with long events, there's always this like point, And I felt it many times where I'll reach a day and I'll wake up in a hotel room and I'm like, all right, I'm, over. I'm done. You know, I, I need to get home as fast as possible. That's enough hotel for me. Um, and all the different levers and all the things to consider there with the world situation may mean that you guys never get to experience that first, you know, two to four week living out of a suitcase in a foreign country international event. And for that, I'm sad, but I get that it's getting more and more tricky to work out how to put all that stuff together. I mean, I will say like, this is something that I brought up on SI, but 
part of my frustration with this world is that, and I, I didn't realize this until I was watching the broadcast was especially when we got into the playoffs, it was like, I've been so conditioned by riot to hearing like the caster pairs mixed up and the tri casts at worlds that when I got to the playoffs, because that wasn't there, it really just didn't feel like worlds to me. It, yeah. it, it I wasn't getting like the new caster trios and I wasn't getting the tri cast and I wasn't getting that same excitement that only happens in like the end of these big international events. And I really strangely missed that a lot. Yeah, I did as well. I think a lot of that was the banter, right? I felt like, because yeah. I know obviously Monty, you did the the whole whistle for SKT and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got like Kobe bouncing off of Papa Smithy, who's the LCK. Like you have Atlas all these trying to hire a new color caster last week yeah. as well. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's all these different ban- like banter points that come up. And I felt yeah. like that was missing where it was, oh, well, we got the EU guys on and they're well, just kind of trying to It's because it's fresh again. Eyes. Like, I mean, it, it sounds weird, but like, you know, I, I'm sure Papa can talk about this. Like when we all got to Worlds, it was really fun to be together because we didn't get to be in person very much. Yeah. So we, it was really kind of like a, a very, and this is another reason to have casters on site together uh, um, because fans don't realize this, but when people, when the casters are on site together, the players, there's a lot of exchange of information that goes on between mm-hmm. the players and the casters. It's much easier to approach them if you're all in the same cafeteria at meals, talking to them about the games, you just get better information, period. Like that's just true because you can message them on discord or whatever, but it's not the same um, as the kind of exchange of ideas that happens at worlds, but also just as casters, we would sit down and we would all like all the analysts would go into a room Mm. and just review VODs together. And we'd all be pitching in ideas. And like, even though it's nice to think about, Oh, we could do that remotely. It's just not the same. No, no, the the camaraderie, right? Like that's what I missed from this world. So I I didn't participate on this world at all. First, um, Riot event I haven't participated on since I started, and I miss you know Deficio coming in like half asleep off his flight and breakfast with the boys afterwards and and all that sort of stuff you know like the the camaraderie you feel because like you're kind of like a solo or maybe there's two analysts in a country right in doing an English broadcast and LCK and LPL was one for me in 2018. It's like coming in and and both sharing ideas and like having someone who really gets what you were going through rather than like. Yeah the idea of what you were going through um, is definitely a big thing to miss. You know, I'm missing a lot of great people that I weren't able to see this year. Like a lot of people yeah. are in the current world situation. Um, but I want to bring it up to you guys. Cause obviously it's been mostly Christopher and I talking, but like it is, it is a shame that there probably won't be those like long tours. Like there were kind of 2017 and previously, but I, I agree that like the organic bouncing between people who don't get to see each other very often. I, I felt that being lost. And then small final thing is like, think about how much pressure and negativity the EU analyst desk crew, who kind of were the only people that got to like set up and then close up games got around any EU performance, good or bad, or any neutral performance, were they neutral enough? And it was stuff. definitely like, like because you couldn't dude. have someone being like, ha my team won, fuck you guys. Like, because yeah. it was only the EU people yeah. like, and that's what happened with this region that isn't ours or like our region lost. It's so sad. It yeah. really kind of, it, it launched a lot of like, crazy like, negativity. Yeah. I mean, even like, even like the trolling that I used to do, like if you think back to 2015 where I was basically just like trolling the EU audience while I was there, you know, on the desk while their teams were losing was it's very memorable. Right. Yeah. But I, I mean, 
I think you really saw it this Worlds because that G2 semifinal cast was not good and extremely biased. And I know none of you guys are going to say shit about this, but I'll say it, which is like, I don't know what was happening in that cast, but I missed tricasting the most at that point in time because it just felt like the most depressing G2 focused cast that I've ever heard. And it wasn't at all like celebratory about the winning team. And it was quite underwhelming, in my opinion. Um, and I think that that is a product of two good casters having an off day, number one. And I also think it's a product of not having that mixture. And I think it's a product of circumstance of everybody is still just yeah. in the studio doing what they've done all year. And because there isn't any differentiation because of COVID, like you're not going to turn in your best performance. Yes, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to respond is like, there's a, a conversation to be had about like the LEC guys coming into the same LEC studio that they've been coming mm -hmm. into every single day of the year, aside from when they were doing it from their bedrooms earlier on in the year, like if you're in the same workplace every single time, like the differentiation of the games is not that significant. And no, I, I sympathize for sure. And I think that was something myself and Munch felt for LPL finals and regional finals. Cause like the analyst desk was at the stadium, which was all cool and sick, but the actual casting was done from the regular studio. Hmm. Which meant that you're going in and it's just like, well, this just feels like the last 170 Yikes. series that I cast. I mean, there's no yeah. real. So it was hard to, in that respect, to try and get as up and hyped for what it should have been. Now, don't get me wrong. I was still super excited. But at the same time, you're kind of like, oh, well, it's another day in the job. And I think that's a really important thing for you to bring up. And I'll let you speak much. But the reason why I say that is because I've done the stadium events, I can channel the stadium kind of like yeah, feel yeah. in my finals cast because I'm like, I put myself there emotionally or like, you know, like I, I get myself there. And that's why I was talking about how you guys haven't done the long trail. Even when it comes to stadium finals, it's if you can't draw from something because you've never done it, then that's an interesting kind of thing to like follow through is yeah. how that would evolve because if you don't Papa have Smith, it he's a from, it's not banger fair. method actor by the way if you're, if you're <laughs> i mean i can i can be pretty fucking hyped and i'm not a super hype guy but i can pretend that i'm right was wrong the whole time. <laughs> i just i just got some hard setbacks and learned to fake it real good <laughs> fake it till you make it right and you definitely made it so you know can't argue with that i definitely think that like, even with the the context of the lpl like even just the way that we did that felt the wrong way around to me. Like if you're going to have an analyst desk and a casting desk in two separate locations, one of them's at the arena, I would put the casting desk at the arena a hundred percent of the time there from, so from that, a caster's you're, perspective. You're, so I think Christopher <laughs> had the same opinion of me. There's two answers here. So you're yeah. wrong for two reasons. One, the backdrop. <laughs> yeah. You, the can't, put the you can't put the stage in the camera, right? Exactly. Yeah. So like, yeah. So that the backdrop, like the backdrop of the analyst desk shot is like the best part of the analyst desk. Cause like other people talking about the game after you've already heard Holding people talking about the game is like and... mixed value, right? And you want to see no the crowd. There and was stuff. no crowd. Yes. No, no, I understand. But the second point is, is like, you don't want any risk of like audio bleed or anything going wrong with the setup. So going for the safe setup for cast, if it can only be one, is definitely the right way to go. Even if I, I don't agree with either, but if I had to pick, right? Yeah. So do you guys have an opinion on uh, like, so if, just going back to the IAM example, right? We were still mm -hmm. away from the crowd. We were still separated by that curtain. 
do you like in in hindsight of doing that event for example papa do you think that there's a, a significant difference between being like on one of those built-up scaffold platforms in the crowd versus being behind that if you could still hear and everything like that do you think that that's a significant impact because generally speaking in stadium events there's quite often not a sh- like sometimes there's a 10 second shot of the casters sometimes there's no shot of the casters at all do you think that's significant for caster shots no the honestly like at the start i had this like i need this this and this but like eventually over time i understood that as long as i had like seamless crowd audio mm-hmm. um it's not like you're looking into the crowd longingly or anything like that or really being able to attend to it so it's more just whatever the setup is as long as i'm getting live crowd reaction it's fine um presentation wise a lot of different ways you can do it a lot of ogn and, and korean esports is like in the front with the whole crowd you know behind you or in front of you depending on the orientation for riot events it was usually the stadium would be like half used you know like uh in the middle and like the stadium is here and then you're behind the stage basically but you still have the live crowd audio which was fine as well um i think both of them were were valid as long as the crowd audio was there but maybe monty has a more specific kind of answer to that I mean, I like being in the middle of the crowd personally, just because I think the experience is a lot more hype, like on one of the platforms in the audience. And I think it allows for a lot of fan interactions between games as well that are really fun for people who are fans. And I put up with it. Um, (laughs) I, I think the OGN style is more having them on stage. I think the advantage of being on stage is that OGN integrates casters into the show in a way that is not really prevalent in Western esports. Mm-hmm. Um, there's much heavier integration of casters. Like, you know, we'd be standing on stage for our own introductions in some OGN finals, which just doesn't happen in Western esports for some you reason. Guys did the two shens, didn't you? Was it you and Dolan? Oh, that was that was just a, that was just a silly thing that we did at okay. the Youngsung <laughs> studio. But I mean there are examples of me and Doa literally standing on stage with like for our own caster introductions. And same with the oh, Korean really? casters. And obviously like Caster June is very famous for doing these like super hype intros and everything like that. But I just feel like in Korean esports the commentators are much more integrated into the kind of showmanship of the entertainment product. Mm-hmm. It's more um, ceremonial in that it's way. It's more ceremonial, which obviously I, I'll, I'll take the attention. You know what I mean? Really, I'm a master of ceremonies, <laughs> like Monster over here. I think there's there's an extra thing to that though, and there's a lot more background to that in that, especially in Eastern esports, both Korea and China, there's a lot of like almost like game show type television that happens with the casters outside of just the show right within western esports it's generally like there is the show you've you've got commentators you've got analyst desk you've got maybe some telestrator segments and then you've got a couple of shows on youtube like this or that for example but that's I mean, kind the Asian, of the, the Asian esports entertainment experience is still it's, light years ahead of the West. Insane. Like, I mean, you guys, you guys talk about this earlier, but I don't have to reinvent the wheel here about what works in esports because I have 25 years of what has worked in Asia that I know about for to work from. Like when I'm talking about the Flashpoint mm-hmm. format, what it is is taking from MSL, which was a StarCraft Brood War League in terms of group selection, and applying it in a new system. But it's not some; it's a hybrid system that I created based off of old StarCraft Brood War tournaments and a, a league-based system, basically. So it's not that it's totally innovative. It's just that I'm t- I'm cherry picking 
the best of all the available options, right? And I think what Western esports tends to not do is learn anything from the history of Asian esports or hire people who know what those formats were or how the production was created. And I totally agree that from my experience at OGN, I would say that while I was working at OGN, I would say that no one in the West in esports knew what they were doing in terms of the rest of the programming on the TV station. And maybe Papa Smithy will disagree with me, but people in the West would look at, here is the esports league content, right? Mm -hmm. Here is the StarCraft content or League of Legends content or the Vainglory content. And they would just watch that, but they would have no clue what was going on on a television station the other 18 hours of the day. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's a fair totally observation right. for sure. There was a lot of shoulder content that... The only shoulder content that got ingested by most Western fans would have been whatever we played in the breaks, right? For OGN, right? Like whatever, stingers or funny things, karaoke and yeah. stuff you would I'm see I'm not talking the about finals. the fans, Papa. I'm talking about people who are literal professionals in the esports industry. No, no, I mean... And, content. and I was just saying, like, people remember that, fans, but they weren't aware. Like, they didn't really ingest that OGN was on 24 hours a day and needed to fill stuff. So they didn't know about True LOL Show, which was, you know forerunner for a lot of podcasts these i am a days, carry getting players in i am a carry like all those things like ogen just needed to fill time so there was a lot yeah. more things going on but it was only in any way ingested by a korean audience like the western audience just didn't know about it yeah and, and but I, but but here's the thing is it that it was a major factor in driving korean audience viewership yeah. and participation within the esport so you know when it, it's almost like that League of Legends was looked at in isolation instead of that was the competitive product, but there were all these fucking awesome shows that were driving fan engagement around it that have been completely ignored. And we still in the West haven't done a great job of that. I mean, I can prove it. Like, why was I able to create the most dominant podcast in the history of Western esports, which is Summoning Insight in 2014, which was absolutely slamming every single other form of content like like when i say slamming i mean like not even close like 10x the viewership of shows that riot was making right because <laughs> i learned lessons <laughs> from how other people were doing things right and, and now there's a bunch more content out there right um across these so much content now yeah Crazy so much enough. content which we're is coming great. for you by the way we're coming for you <laughs> boys, i mean i'm helping I'm you, you so <laughs> <God> <laughs> <bless> <laughs> viewership incoming. i will say though like there's there's an extra factor to this in that like all of this kind of shoulder content and obviously ogn had much bigger budgets because they were on television they had much yeah. larger advertisers etc cetera, etc cetera. but this kind of shoulder content does a lot to make the players and the personalities within the league actual celebrities not just mm -hmm. like 20,000 why do you think i was like so fucking happy follow, you know? about the riot casters not being able to do any shoulder content when i was existing back in 2014 basically what riot did was that they handed me the keys to the kingdom like by being able to comment not only on every single korean league of legends game but to make a show that also talked about Europe and North America when Riot was barring their own casters from making their own content. It's just, just fucking free real estate, man. Like I was just sitting there being like, give it all, give it all to me. They, they couldn't do anything. Riot had locked them down to such a degree that they just couldn't do it. I mean, the only analog since then would be LS being able to yep. co stream. Oh, LS um, used the Monty LPS, playbook 100%, right? I yeah. would have co streamed if I had been able to. 
it just shows what you know if you if you're given a certain set of circumstances that you can take advantage of and you have the the gumption to follow it through like as christopher was able to do making himself the preeminent league of legends expert in that early era and then ls was able to position himself Mm -hmm. as the same this year you can run with things and and circumstances and still reach a level of fame that you know we, we spent a lot of this episode talking about fame how it can be channeled how the game has evolved to not supported as much but if you're ahead of the game like monty was early and like how ls has been recently from at least a talent perspective you can still eclipse things that everyone kind of only sees one way for sure for sure for sure um i'm gonna shift the conversation on a little bit now uh, sure it's all right uh because i do want to hit on the topic of rosters a little bit if that's all right with you guys because mm-hmm. um, i think there's a lot of interesting conversations to be had there and I want to start things off with uh, one of the most interesting rosters, at least in my opinion, in that of Cloud9. Uh, because mm-hmm. basically the whole roster, as far as I understand it, has been uh, essentially yeah. announced at this point. So we've got Fudge, Blabber, Perks, Sven, Vulcan, and then Rainover as the head coach as well. Reaper did mm-hmm. leave. Um, and a lot of it... rumors from Jack himself about Mithy being on the coaching staff as well. Oh, really? I have not seen yes, that. Yes, he talked about it in uh, content recently. Oh, okay. And that would make sense because there are also a bunch of rumors that Mithy's no longer on Fnatic. Yeah. So. And Sven and Mithy reunited once more uh, with Perks. Um, yes, so... it would make it makes too much sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I, it does I, make I, an I awful lot of sense. So this ain't no incredible leak. <laughs> um, so highly credible leak. What, what do you what are your guys' takes on this? Because I think from from Perks's perspective, this is like a free ticket to Worlds, right? But how do you believe in the the NA like? I say resurgence. They've never done well at Worlds. Like, do you believe in the NA like uprising? Like, is it possible for Perks to be able to turn the team around and, and make a What you success got, Monty? Give me give me your answer. On, what on you got? Stage. I mean, objectively, they're going to be better. Like, it, it, better than last year. I I think it's a massive upgrade at the mid lane position. I know, Papa, you have like a mad crush on Perks. So, <laughs> I, I, a lot of people he do. Does. He does. Good player. <laughs> it's more than that. I think what's, it's his what's biceps. So in, I, I think what's so interesting about Perks as as a player is not only is he the best Western player of all time, uh, he is also extremely marketable. He's also an exceptional like leader for a team, emotional core. He's also an exceptional shot caller within the game. It's almost unfair how fucking good Perks is. At it, it, there's basically no fault. Like it's not like, oh, you know, Faker's great. Is Faker very marketable? No, right? He's not he's very personable. Model, if you is. sell broccoli, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, but, but like, basically, basically to the, the, the thing about Faker's fame is that the fans had to invent broccoli to associate with Faker because he doesn't have a personality. Yeah. It's literally a man who said his favorite drink is water, okay? So, like, we really had to stretch with Faker to make him, like, remotely a human being, right? Um because he is just the embodiment of League of Legends, which is fine. I love Faker, I'm, but you know, I think it's it what not... made his tears in 2017 like actually very, very important sure. in terms of like the narrative, right? Sure, but also we could argue that that was kind of the end of Faker's prime, more or less. I'm not saying anything. I know to avoid that. Topic. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't step in. I'm not a. I'm not an LCK guy. I don't. I don't comment on Faker. Anyway, prime. that's not the point. We're talking about Burks. Um So. I think it's it's perks is just a ridiculous ad. Now there are rumors that it costs five million dollars. 
the, the obvious question is, can I make $5 million if, I, if I'm cloud nine plus perks of salary? So just the 5 million buyout that was ruined. 11.75 million is the, is the total cost of his salary plus so, okay, buyout. So $12 million. Can I make $12 million if I'm cloud nine from getting perks? No. Like, I'm not going to sell $12 million in sponsorships, you know, uh, jerseys. Maybe in 20, over the next 20 years, I can convert enough fans to being Cloud9 fans that I could maybe make that money back. But it's not a financial decision. Like, let's be clear, 100%, Cloud9 is not making a financial decision here. They're making a decision because they want to go big for their fans. And that's and it's it's a prestige play, fundamentally. Um, there is no logical business sense to this. You know, they if they do make that $12 million back, that's very impressive, shows growth in the industry. But as it stands right now, you can't look at that objectively from somebody who knows the finances of the industry and say, this is a savvy business move, okay? So credit to Cloud9 that they really want to put themselves out there and like do cool mm-hmm. shit for NA and the fans. So I'm not trying to slam Cloud9. I'm just making a making clear the decision that they're making and the reality of it. Right. I do think that objectively, obviously he's like a lot better than Niski. He's going to bring more out of his teammates than Niski ever could, uh, both emotionally and in terms of performance. Um, I'm excited to see him again in the mid lane. I think fudge is a very, I worked a lot with fudge when I was working for cloud nine and talked to him on many different occasions and watched him play in Academy a lot this last year because I was doing the nines and that was part of my job. Um, and I think he is impressive. And I think especially with how underwhelming licorice was as the year went on, I was, I, I was shocked that cloud nine said, Hey, we're going to run back the same roster. And obviously the decision to make Oceana players mm-hmm. no longer imports, yeah. you know, was a key Key decision factor. That helped but it along. I think I, it did did make it possible, but I think it was absolutely the right decision to make. So Cloud9, I think, is looking like they're in a great position right now. I think it's really exciting to be a Cloud9 fan at the moment. Um, I think it's exceptional for NA as a scene because if there's a player that I think has the highest chance to elevate a an American team into the semis of Worlds, you have to get perks. I think that's the way you do it. I think it's the only way you do it, frankly. And it's also at a time where it was a trade-off, right? Bjergsen out was the big thing there. Potentially, you know, there's obviously been rumors about double lift, and like he hasn't confirmed whether he's playing in 2021 either. And like that's a lot to lose in terms of in its own right. But we'll get in in terms of mind share. It's like a lot. You're losing like your your two biggest stars theoretically there, right? You've already lost one, and that's a big thing. So bringing in perks at the same time. Obviously, different teams is like great for Mindshare, but it's so interesting to think about this roster because I think power level wise, you look at the players here, um, and it's it's an incredibly stacked roster. It's weird to say that about a player coming out of academy, but I think I think the thing that I think about this team that probably a lot of people don't is my only question mark on the team is Jungle and Blabber, and that's yeah, that's right. a lot of people would look at the at Fudge and be like, okay, it's academy player stepping up. I think this guy is really, really talented. Like maybe there'll be some teething pains like there was when Licorice started playing LCS at the start, but he'll get there. Like he's, he's talented there. He also the most has an interesting extremely thing good is mentality. So you're, you're taking out Niski, player who basically plays for the jungler at all times. And that was the dominant strategy Cloud9 won with in this iteration. And that's the only time Blab has been a starter, right? He was a 
pinch hitter before. And then you're replacing him with Perks, who more of a classical mid laner. Now he's still great at bringing in teammates. He's definitely great at all the, um, you know, planning and, and out of game attributes as well, and a fantastic player. But he's not Niski. Very like Niski is very unique in his style. So the only question I have is, how does that fusion look like? How does mid jungle look like there? And mm-hmm. talent wise, no doubt, both of them phenomenally talented. Definitely. The best play I saw of any player this year, and I watched a lot of League, watching all our scrims, was Blabber. Very, very mechanically talented player. Very great, aggressive player. But just knowing what that looks like, like if it looks good, it's like, of course it looks good. These are really, yeah, really talented but, players. But, but it's, it's also the only thing that could trip up what is otherwise a super stacked, powerful roster. Yeah, but here's the thing. I think you have to do this play because, as you're saying, Niski was there as a crutch for Blabber most of the year, but that's never going to make Blabber a truly versatile or intelligent jungler. And I think the way you do that is you add perks and you, you need to test Blabber in different styles. But isn't say, that the only yes, no, because there's a chance that it doesn't work. Sure. And then but, the whole experiment is. Oh free. no. Who is going to sacrifice their career to come play jungle on cloud nine for perks? Oh no. That's who true. will, who will do that? Oh, it would, God. That's how they are, Christopher. Maybe they don't they'll, have, the they'll have such a play. They'll, they'll such a, uh, yeah, no one would ever take a salary cut to be on that team. Like, come on. Eye outs, <laughs> baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I don't think they'll have a problem like getting the right look in for a penny, in, in for $12 million, in for a pound on that one guy. Like, oh no, they're not going to pay $500,000. Somebody's like, uh, they will. $500,000 out of Academy player? A million dollars, whatever. <laughs> my point is that you're already in $12 million. Like, We'll sunk cost fallacy this shit all the way at this point in time. <laughs> Just double down. I definitely look at the roster and I'm like, this roster stacked. It makes a lot of sense. I choose to believe Blabber will get there. Like, It's no mm. surprise if it ends up being supremely strong. And I think that all of the anecdotes I've heard about perks within g2 and within previous teams well pretty much actually exclusively g2 um now i think about it is that he does bring out the best in other players and he is more than willing to give feedback to other players so um he's definitely the kind of player that is gonna level up the rest of the squad um i think that's just on that point the biggest thing for me for perks is like him going to na it feels like if you wanted to get like the embodiment of hey let's grab everyone by their coattails and like just yoink them up or by the scruff of the neck even and just pull them into what needs to be done i feel like perks is that player like he's very vocal he seems to have a decent work ethic to him and i think from at least the conversations i've had with people that are more informed than me about na it seems to be kind of setting up that um mindset there and it feels to me like perks is kind of the one to to help that in certain situations and his Twitter is going to be spicy because of that. Because he yeah. is going to fucking rail people. I can't fucking wait. To see I mean, Cloud9X perks is some serious like yeah. social media firepower being put <laughs> together. So there's going to be some interesting stuff going on there for sure. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very excited for it. I mean, I wasn't really into perks heading to an NA team, obviously. But I think this is probably the best situation he could have found himself in. And I do think that it could potentially elevate na into like actual legitimate world semifinal contention if it goes well now we'll see i agree with papa's reluctance about the blabber situation that's definitely and 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 i want to bring up a like uh kindred not the champion but a kindred kind of like 
worry is like G2, right? Like G2 Reckless is announced, right? And you look at this roster and you're like, it costs a lot for this roster to be put together in terms of like how much power, like, you know, how much like best player in their role is on one roster, you know? Um, and the most interesting question I have about this roster, the only thing I have to ask is, Perks playing AD carry was clearly wasn't his first choice, right? Mm -hmm. Like for one and a half, so for sorry, three out of four splits. Um, and he was, and knowing him as a personality and projecting what he'll bring to North America and Cloud9, remember G2 is also losing that. Yeah. You know, they're losing what it means to be on G2 esports with Perks, because that's basically just being with Perks, right? He's been there since the, the launch of their Games 2 to G2 evolution. And now, we get to find out what that, how important was that to G2? Like how important was that intangible? As I talked about with like listening to Core JJ's comms, if like, what was the value there and like subtracting that and adding a more skilled AD carry is a theoretical upgrade, but we might actually be able to answer some of these more intangibles. Mm, and yeah. what if removing Perks's, you know, I guess human side, Yeah does actually have a cascading so, effect because I, it's so easy to think about what G2 looks like when it works. But if G2 has some sort of low roll, you know, let's say there's a hundred scenarios and 95 of them, their talent overwhelms the five where there's friction or mm -hmm. the perks personality doesn't, then the whole region as a whole is going to lose out because so much of the talent is on one team. And th there's a question then of like, the, obviously, Perks was very clearly the team captain for GT, right? He was the leader he was the glue, within the, right? With the, yep. within the team, but there's also uh, that could be said about Reckless on Fnatic. And the question oh, is, God, get is out that of here. compatible? <laughs> what do you mean, get out of here? That that wait, is. Wait, 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 wait. He's the glue. He no, no. I didn't the, say he's, he's the... the glue. Papa Smithy right, said right. he's the glue. I said he's the team captain and the leader. Sure. That's that's not the Fnat same thing. Reckless, reckless is the solvent that makes everyone dissolve off of Fnatic. Why do people keep leaving Fnatic? Hmm? I don't think anyone knows the answer to that question. Oh wow! You know, it couldn't be that we have knowledge behind the scenes, or couldn't be that. Oh well, wow! Saying, you know, there's know only one. There's only one constant across very, all the very, years. No, I hear what you're saying, but there's very conflicting information on reckless i feel like that's a fair thing to say is people hear the whispers about what he's like behind the scenes mm -hmm. they also see how driven and consistent he is as a player and i'm not willing to cast a vote on that but again we get that tested in him coming to g2 yeah and the, the point i was trying to bring up was more that uh the 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 perks effect we'll call it is actually going to be i think more apparent in how cloud nine performs than it is in how g2 performs because i think that the level of talent and the level of experience within g2 should transcend that like when you've got players like yankos on the team who has been somewhat somewhat like if you're looking for players that are going to be like glue that will maintain a team's atmosphere and, and keep spirits high mm -hmm. people like yankos and caps tick those boxes i don't think g2 is going to struggle in regards to that aspect without perks but i do think that it will elevate cloud9 in a massive way with perks on that team i'm very excited to follow on because there's some just a lot of you know, a lot's changed in these teams. And that's the only thing I'm scared of is like, what if it was perks, you know, like somehow mm. bringing everything together and like, I'm, I'm AD carry, but I'm also like this, this and that and strategic mind. And I'm also um, you know, handling all the baggage of lots of players with a lot of experience and a lot of ego. Like I can't know. And if it doesn't work, 
it booms a lot more than just one team's performance, if you know what mm -hmm. I mean. Uh, it, it's also the fact that G2's entire style has been predicated on this sort of free-flowing way of playing League of Legends. And that style is built off of an insane amount of trust among teammates that split-second yeah. decisions are going to be the right ones. And if you have a, a team that's based off of a very specific system of this player does this job, well, you can slot players in and out and not disrupt that. There is almost no way that I could see how G2 would be able to replicate this system that they have without perks because the instance things start to go wrong and you don't have the right emotional leader at the, at the core of that, and I'll just say this, Reckless is not the right emotional leader, it just will cease to function. It will need to evolve. They cannot just play like they did, like they had perks when they have Reckless. He's a different player. He's a quieter player in-game. He's active in reviews. Like It's a different thing. So it's so interesting to see, and it's another yeah. hypothesis. And I will say I, I agree with their decision ultimately. From like a team management perspective, that style of League of Legends didn't win them the championship two years in a row, right? <laughs> Oh, come on, dude. They're never going to get closer than they, they did. Exactly. That's you what I'm saying. OVL. That's get exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying, right? That that iteration was the best it ever was in 2019. No, no, I that's don't the think best it's, it's ever going better. to be. That's what I'm... That's they, you're agreeing with me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're agreeing with me aggressively. <laughs> so, so you're like, oh, oh. My so point it, is, I agree so that agree they changed something. Worse. I agree that they change something and try something new. Whether or not it works, I don't know. But like, No, you don't change anything. That you've reached the pinnacle of what you can do. Changing anything is not going to help in this specific scenario. Isn't it a failure to keep it together and do progressively worse then? Yeah, they did worse this year than they did last year. So I think at this point, it's not oh going to get better God. than it did in 2019. Oh no, they made world semis instead of world finals. Like, okay, they were slightly worse, I guess. Like, we didn't even have MSI, so we couldn't even watch that. Like, what, what are you guys evaluating this on? One Worlds where they... They they lost to the eventual I think, winner. I think personally, like looking Spoiler, at Spoiler guys, think, they lost to the eventual winner last year too. I think what ends up happening is that like, look, neither perks or cops wants to play AD carry, right? So you end up in the situation where they both just get upset and the team as a whole ends up going down because of the the human part of the team. Like whether we look at that like as the uh, the actual ability of these players, like that's the part where I'm kinda like I don't know. Maybe it is better to just actually get someone who's willing to play the position than sharing time between the two people that clearly aren't happy in the position. Mm -hmm. I actually agree with with you there, Dagda. In terms of like, you could see that attention was wandering. You know, like and like it wasn't enough to just win titles. I know Christopher is fine about this. Me. You guys, you guys are <laughs> all I'm saying is destroying my brain right now. There was a lot of mid lane ego going on there. I think both of them wanted to play the role. Like it seemed pretty natural that just rolling that back for a third year and expecting better results was unlikely. I, that's my take on the situation. Can, can we can we take a look at the scope of this year? So first off, G2 is always a team that's going to perform better on LAN, and we didn't have them on LAN. Do they lose to Mad Lions in spring on LAN? No. Okay. Did they try some wacky-ass role shift that didn't end up working? Yes. Hello, are we all going to just ignore the fact that Perk's father died and maybe he wasn't as focused on the game and that might have affected their game plan to the degree that he was out for multiple weeks of this season and they couldn't actually regain the synergy with him moving back to the AD carry position? Hello? So I actually think the more important argument, if 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 you want to go on like reasons that GT didn't go, didn't do well, is that the meta was a 
lanes support the jungle rather than jungle supports the lanes meta. And it's more than just Yanko's performance. It's about how the team evolves to play that style, which is a style G2 has literally never played. Like, and most teams haven't played except for the Asian teams, generally speaking. So I think that's a much stronger argument as to why G2 didn't work. Not that, obviously, you know, your dad dying is probably going to fucking suck, right? But <laughs> All I'm just, saying is just, there, just, were, there were extreme, there are a lot extreme of reasons. extenuating circumstances that we must consider. Because mm -hmm. even at a minimum where you say, well, it didn't affect Perk's mentality. He, he missed games. He missed a lot of time this year. And that's a lot of time he didn't have with his team. It's a lot of time when they were switching roles again that they didn't have back. Like there was, by the way, I didn't hear that mentioned one time at Worlds, even though that is, you can't escape that story about this team's performance. There is a conversation to be had about, um, certainly for the EU guys, bringing up that kind of story when everyone in the world is already railing them for being hyper G2 biased. As soon as G2 starts doing badly, they're like, oh, Perk's dad died, by the way. So uh, just just forget about this one, guys. Like, I mean, it's would have been reasonable, right? I mean, that's, that's, a kind of, a, that's the kind of story that should be told, frankly. What I'll say is from being inside a team where obviously there were narratives around our performance and, and what we should be doing, what we weren't doing, and what would have worked and what didn't work, I can tell you that diagnosing those problems from the outside and from the inside is very, very different process. Mm -hmm. I did that as a caster for years and now I've tried to do it as a GM. I'm not saying that I you know, nailed it every time or anything like that, but if G2, with all the information about the personal side, the playstyle side, what it looked like in scrims, what it looked like on stage, the you know natural pull and pull, push and pull of two mid laners trying to play, you know, one of them can only play mid lane at the same time, if they used all of that information and made this change intentionally, then I think that's the most we can hope for. If they think that that's their way that they're going to find success, like they have to be bigger experts than we are. Because I mean, the stuff Monty's saying is correct. Like his dad dying and what that would do to his attention and like his motivation and stuff like that, and what it would do to the team, the cascading effects there, whether even just the intentional, like not having the player around for a while, what that would do. We can only speculate and that feels like dirty to even speculate about. Like it doesn't mm -hmm. change anything for how I think about perks, but a lot happened this year and unpacking it as an outsider, you can say, this is the reason I have this opinion they should do this. And based on available info, it could be really convincing, but I just have to hope that they had all that info and put it together because I know how hard that can be to do. Yeah. And if this is the way they see of going forward, it's going to be interesting because I think the only reason they make this change is to do better internationally next year and people will compare it to 2017 TSM, right? And the change no, they made. No, I, I think the reason they do this is because Perks wanted to move back to mid lane and is doing something different with his career. And in a world where you have to keep Perks on contract because he's unhappy, or you have a chance to sell him to NA for $5 million and you're G2, then you sell him for $5 million because it's both what he wants and it gets you a lot of money. And then what you do is you say, hey, who's our biggest rival? Oh, it's Fnatic. What happens if we take Reckless? Oh, they're not a threat anymore? Then we take that. I don't think it has anything to do with international success. 
I think it and, has everything to do with having an unsolvable situation with your desires as a team versus Perks's desires as a player. What? And I'm not saying Carlos is being selfish. I'm saying he wants to honor Perks's desires as a player. And so he's going to make the move. He's not going to sell him to Fnatic for obvious reasons. And at the end of the day, if you have a chance to gut your rival, take their star player, take all their fans and really limit their chance of success, then why wouldn't you do that? I think I think they care about winning. Convincing Europe. argument too. Yep, I agree. I agree completely. Um, and also, there is a conversation to be had about if you are the dominant team in Europe, then maybe there's a a, a weakened version of Europe moving into international play as well. But I think that's a, an entirely different wormhole that we could get lost in there's always um, a lot of wormholes when you get these yeah. four people on a call yeah. i'll say that much <laughs> I, I don't want to go too deep into that one because that is pretty much exclusively theoretical um i do want to talk about some of the other rosters that are somewhat confirmed i believe the team liquid roster is completely confirmed at this point mm -hmm. Salfari, Satorin, jensen tactical core jj i think tactical core jj look really really solid uh, what are your guys' thoughts on uh, the Santorin pickup? And obviously, Alfari was like a huge pickup with a massive salary and like really, really hyped transfer. What are your guys' thoughts on on this roster as a whole? And do you agree with the the pickups? And obviously, there was a, a huge amount of media fuss about the salaries that these guys were getting as well, because um, it was kind of uh, much more public than previous League of Legends transfers. I think power wise, it's it's definitely a change. You know, I feel like. With Doublelift on the team, um, they needed a top laner who was selfless because Doublelift in yep. general needs to be strong side. Like this is how he's conceptualized yep. the game for so many years. It's not that he can't play weak side, but it's just you know it's what he's used to. He's going to be a big voice on a team. I think with tactical, you have more flexibility. Um, it's naturally a different personality there, but they're trying something really different because while Alfari can play weak side, strong side, I think you bring in Santorin and Alfari to allow yourself to play through solo lanes more than just be a bot lane focused team, which TS, which sorry, not TSM in this case, Team Liquid has been for a long time. I think Santorin is very good at sacrificing. Um, you know, you see him play solo queue and he can play carry junglers, but in pro play it's, you know, you think about this year, it's how can I set up Power of Evil to hit his item spikes on mages and then carry the game. Um, and I think he's going to have his role and like even just where the jungle proximity is on that team, if it can be flexible between all three lanes as it suits the draft, then that's just a really well put together team. If he ends up having like a natural tendency somewhere and then it's going to be a potential source of weakness. So I'm very interested to see it happen because they've just never, like I would uh, VOD review their games and like they'd be playing a champion who needs jungle resources like a Vladimir and they just never go there and they would lose winning Vladimir matchups because jungler would go bot lane no matter what. Now it's a different jungler, another experienced jungler coming in and a carry top laner who can play weak side as well. The what ifs are there, but it's I can definitely see they're trying to answer a question. Mm -hmm. I think that Core JJ played a lot differently this year when he could roam more because tactical is extremely self-sufficient yeah. in the bot lane alone on a weak side. And I think that Core JJ being unleashed on the map to help Alfari and Jensen is probably exactly what they want. I think that Team Liquid realized that Jensen did not, in fact, need a early game lease in jungler like they picked up in Broxa and probably to a certain degree um, regrets, you know, the, the change at jungle that they ended up making. 
And I think that Santorin is more of, he is, I think he had a very good year on FlyQuest, but I agree with Papa that he was setting up Power of Evil very well. And I think that if you are Team Liquid and you're like, hmm, should we get a jungler that sets up a scaling mid laner and top laner super well? Maybe you go for Santorin. So I think this roster has a lot more streamlined synergy in theory than the last roster did. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see it. And I think that activating Core JJ as your star player and roam around the map is much more compelling than funneling resources into double lift as an AD carry. Um, I kind of was wondering, Papa, because obviously you're coming from OPL originally. Like, what do you think about the OPL being kind of consumed by North America? Like, would you have preferred to see OPL kind of stay on its own? Or like, what do you think? Because obviously, like, I... Th- Personally, I think the OPL guys getting a chance in NA just seems amazing, like getting that kind of step up. But overall, what's your kind of thought process on it? It kind of feels a little bit like people think about with like best of three viewership and was it the competing streams or um, the longer games and series that was like the thing that like pulled it together because it was a really complicated thing for me to ingest. For example, my first thought was with my GM hat because we got like an email like an hour before the public release and it was like oh wow like who's this like now fudge and fbi are really really big ticket players and this and that but then um you know the personal hat came in because it's my home server effectively having the the plug pulled right like there'll be something going on there in terms of competitive but nothing that will support full-time players um and i would not be where i am without australian league of legends and the australian server announcement at PAX 2013 was my first ever um, live cast. Like so much of my past is intertwined with Australian League of Legends that, you know, having the plug pulled is obviously a a very emotional thing for me to consider. Um, And I think for immediacy, like if you look at the projected rosters and obviously we have an internal like projected roster thing we update with every rumor we hear, the rosters are on the whole stronger because of especially AD carry gets four players who are better than a lot of the resident ADs were previously with um, King's probably going to be, I guess, on Academy for C9. But, you know, you look on the LCS, Rays, FBI, Lost, likely to be playing somewhere. Who knows what's happening between EG and TSM with the Lost situation. But there's now just a pool of, like, small pool of players who are top tier in their role who make the region stronger because they're residents. And... I think you'll see players in Academy come through that, again, will make Academy stronger because they're residents. But the the further question of what happens next year is the part where, like for the immediacy, it's like as a GM hat, 2020 GM, you're like, all right, there's more resident players that we can plug into holes, going to make the league stronger. And that's undeniable. But in a year's time where you don't have OPL games to look at, and these players have kind of been like playing solo queue and like, almost again pub tournaments from season two level of competition is being able to like justify bringing over opl players in future years a real thing maybe when COVID goes away you start flying in the best australian players for like scouting grounds or something at the end of the year but that's again like a snapshot like maybe they had a bad flight got sick and then don't show up well um i think for the long tail of australian pros like any future ones and Maybe this is a decision they couched in. I'm guessing not, though. I think it's definitely going to have a negative knock-on effect. But in terms of, like, right now, let's make the roster stronger, it definitely is an upgrade. So it's a real... Oh, boy. I so disagree with this. Holy moly. 
I'm really curious how you, that seemed like a very con, uh, very conservative statement. I'm curious how you dr drastically disagree with this. Sure, because I think the OPL was an artificial ceiling that drove down player, uh, basically drove down player competitiveness in Australia and drove really shitty salary caps on them because they weren't able to get big contracts in NA because no one was going to take them uh, as imports unless you're Papa Smithy. Um, so basically... <laughs> I think that now there's actually hope for Australian players that they can have a good paying career out of everything that's going on here. And while what he's saying is true about, oh, well, you know, they might have scouting grounds right now or something like that. I think that we've seen in other esports, particularly Counter-Strike, that when Australian players are able to escape Australia, they actually do quite well on an international stage, which also... Mr. Papa Smithy's Hundred Thieves would be, you know, a prime example of in terms of the Counter-Strike scene. And I don't think that by trapping all of these people in extremely low wage jobs in Australia, I think that a lot of gamers were looking at this and saying like, oh, well, I guess my ceiling is barely being able to eat. Now that's not the ceiling anymore. Now you have a cool ceiling. Of I mean, that's the that's the counter argument, right, is that for the the cream, which is a lot of the players who are coming over this year, it's a massive upgrade that now. I'm going to be paid higher. They're going to be more sought after. Like you're 100% correct on that. But it's like, do you blow up the 50 to prize the five is always an interesting thing you, to think you don't about have to. with these decisions. You don't I have think to. that a lot of people who would have tried to pursue esports in Australia, and yes, it would have been lower paying and stuff like that. Aspirationally, now like 2% of them get in rather than 20%. And that's the trade-off that you have to decide whether it's worth it or not, and depending on who you're, which master you're serving, it is or it isn't. Well, I, I've got a deal for you, Mr. GM of 100 Thieves. I'm listening. I love deals. Okay, so my, deal. my deal for you is you create your mm -hmm. academy roster as all mm -hmm. Australians so that <laughs> you can actually grow a grassroots scene from Australia, and then you'll get all the, the good Australian players. You turn NA Academy it's a, into... It's a tempting idea. OPL. No, but my point is, my point stands... <laughs> NA right? Resident like, Academy right no, there. No, no, no. There, there is a real NA. opportunity there. So you can say, oh, well, the OPL doesn't exist anymore. But my response to that is, where the well, there's 20 million people in Australia. If you really believe in Australian talent, then why don't you create your own farm system as an LCS team where you're the one who's actually sitting there in Australia cultivating this talent and scouting you it? You said I believe in, 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 in oceanic talent. There's good players, but I'm not <laughs> saying didn't say that. that. I said if, 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 a per, if a person did believe in that. You know, so we're, I, I guess we're going to see if you do. I've definitely heard rumors <laughs> and murmurs around stuff like that. I think it's there, but I will say that scouting oceanic players in a year's time is going to be a lot harder. Maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe it just means the best scouts will find good players, but I am worried about the future of oceanic players kind of still blossoming in two years' time. Look, I believe in I the dream that NA actually means native Australian. Like, I'm 100% on this bandwagon right now. <laughs> all, all I'm going to say, Bob, is we have a surprisingly large number of Australian players who were chosen to be in the LCS as a result of this, like Fudge over Licorice and everything like that. And frankly, like, for as few people as Australia has as a country, I think that they're pretty overrepresented in terms of esports across the board in multiple casting, esports. especially. Holy bully. Yeah, exactly. definitely did well in casting. Yeah. So, I mean, I think in the long term in other esports, we haven't like 100 Thieves is a great example. We haven't had a shortage of new Counter-Strike pros that have been integrated into the old Renegades and now 100 Thieves roster. 
there have been a cycle of Counter-Strike players coming from Australia that have succeeded in spite of that. Mm -hmm. We've seen multiple Australian teams end up at majors or end up at significant tournaments. Greyhound is, is mm -hmm. a pretty good roster right now. Renegades is all Australian again, uh, by the way. I think the 100 Thieves core is likely to remain, you know, as primarily an Australian team. So I just, I, I guess I don't see it because we have... I pulled that Renegades team out of Australia in what, 2015? And five years later, here we are still with Australian players in Counter-Strike. I mean, cream rises to the top could happen. But from my experience working in the oceanic scene for a long time, the cream was like capped. And now the cream is over to North America. And I'm not 100% sure it's going to be replenished in the way you think it is. That hasn't been my impression with Oceanic League of Legends players, but why do you think I'm it happens less... in Counter Strike, but not in League of Legends? I I don't know if it's server population or anything. I just mean like the best players in Australia were the best players for four years, kind of how it was in some other minor regions, yeah, and some players fair. have since then come out that have been good, and they're going to be poached straight away. And then the infrastructure remaining will naturally be lower because again, there's going to be less people who are full time, and I am concerned that. People look at outliers like a fudge who was like, you know, a crazy prospect in Australia and has done even better than expected in an A. And I do think that this will overall hurt more than it helps. So I'm down to be optimistic. Obviously, I want more Australian players to get a chance because I feel very connected to them still, even though I've been away for years now. But I am skeptical, um, but I'm, I'm ready to be proven wrong. I just look at it as a as a very good opportunity for a team to create an Australian-based minor league or farm system. That's how I view it. The the history will be written, and I and I hope it's yeah. a positive one. But I think it was a nice benefit that we got, you know, to to roster building. As a GM, it was like, holy shit, we got Oceanic players. All right, that's I got some new toys to play with. Um, but in terms of like what this means going forward, I choose to be glass half empty on it and ready to be proven wrong, you know? Well, uh, as a spectator to this debate, essentially, uh, I'm leaning the way of Papa Smithy off the back of that one, this miniature <laughs> debate, but I don't know, honestly, I, I, as you say at the end there, Papa Smithy, I think this is totally down to how NA reacts to, to the move on. Uh, and again, we won't really re see the result for and to be fair to my argument, my argument is also predicated on somebody actually doing something in Australia. Exactly. exactly. So I'm, I would say my, I believe in my argument as long as somebody does something. Now, so if nobody's going to do anything, then I do agree. So with what I've Renegades heard of, like, the League of Legends. You know that it's going to be like tournaments to qualify for international events. I think those will be more Dota style where it's like five boomers will come together and because no one else has had any infrastructure to develop in. They like try to qualify, make it to Worlds or MSI, and then break up again, rather than any like we're training yeah. up people things. So I choose to think that it's going to be like the same five people that you aren't really going to import because they're like older or whatever will dominate a small scene, which is kind of what it was like when I started in 2012. And rather than like they'll like you know use it as a chance to build up the next generation stuff, and that's where I see like not an attractive pool of players coming in each year replenishing like like, like the dream would be mm -hmm. so i i'm gonna uh, move the conversation on slightly here um because i want to talk a little bit about lec but i don't know uh i'm just what, you don't want to talk about tsm straight. what's their roster <laughs> well that, it's still rumors me? right i thought the tsm <laughs> roster was still majoritively rumor 
Yeah, nobody knows. Well, the, the rumor right now is uh, Huni Speaker, Power of Evil is apparently confirmed, and then Double of Sword Art and yeah, Bioxen is the confirmed. head coach. Yeah. And I know the, the rumor right now is that the Sword Art thing is maybe just falling through entirely. I want to know what you guys think. What do you guys think about Sword Art? <laughs> well, well I think Sword Art is going to have a way of Which is the Sooning Matt? I don't know if Look. you've seen. Have you guys seen Joe, our Munchables um, Sooning intro that we did? It is absolutely no. amazing. Him getting. I'm gonna see if I can find. If it. you haven't, just save I'll send it to you after. But yeah, <laughs> uh, um, Joe getting full makeup done to be the Sooning mascot is one of my favorite videos we produce from the. Album. Yeah, 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 I'd love to see it. <laughs> so I, I've been, I've been kind of the Sooning hype guy all year, but um, sorta. I think this is gonna sound weird coming from the Sooning hype guy, but I think it's it's fair to say sorta is sort of beyond his peak as a player. Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah for sure and yes, i think definitely. in the next two years if he stayed in lpl it would only get worse from here like he made it to world's finals i don't like no offense soda i love you man but like i don't think it gets better from here in the lpl so i think for soda mm -hmm. personally this is an incredible move in terms of uh you know setting himself up for success but also i think that he can still are you, stand are you up with the best accusing of tsm LCS. of taking a an asian support past his prime I'm, they've never done that. I know it's controversial to say the least, but I'm willing to make that statement. So but I, I know think... what TSM is trying to do here, and I think that's the part that people miss: is they're like, "Oh, don't they know that like Sodat's kind of falling away as a mechanical player?" Which I don't think is I think unfair to say. But he had a though. really good world, right? I don't think he's. I, I just want to clarify: I don't think he's a bad player, and I don't think that he's like. When I say beyond his prime, I mean like his prime was pretty fucking good, right? Like, look, I we know that you're gonna... trying to like backpedal so that no one like snipes <laughs> the context there, but like, which is lame. By saying, the way, I'm okay with people ceiling, taking me out of context. He's passed but... his mechanical ceiling and then some. You know, we can say the same. But thing I think about the mechanical Faker. ceiling really required in LPL about. versus LCS is very different, right? Yeah, and that's that's part of it. But I think that the thing that TSM, like, I 100% know this to be true, is that TSM wants their own core JJ, and that's what they're reaching for. Is finding an experienced um, person who's been vetted personality-wise, who can be a leader, who can do what Core JJ does in those in-houses, where it's just like he's just playing people like marionettes and just, just carrying the game himself, and that's what they're reaching for here. Now, is Sword Art that player? It's not really something we can know till he gets to North America, till he gets his head around the move. So much of Core JJ is like, why is this person so doggedly trying to? Yeah. raise the level of the region that he's chosen, especially, chosen to be in. Especially Why? when Sword Art or like Core JJ could literally co collect the exact same yeah. paycheck yeah. by not Just doing like, that. So <laughs> the thing about Core JJ is unique, right? Is like yeah, I agree. he has some human quality where he is trying to raise everything around him, kicking and screaming to very little personal gain. Like he doesn't need the rep increase. Everyone already loves him. I've met the guy, one of the most lovely guys you will ever meet and very, very real about what he's doing and i know that tsm looks at that and what he brings and what it could look like with double lift if things were going well like it was for tl for a long period and think we need a player like this now the only question is is that how much of that is the unique core jj human side that is only one person in the world like that and how much of that is like we were reaching for core jj we got the next best thing but that doesn't actually apply to our situation at all mm -hmm. We can't know, but clearly at almost any expense, they're trying to make that kind of a move. So correct me if I'm wrong. I think Bjergsen was 
the the main shot caller on that team, right? And I think mm-hmm. from Sword Art's perspective, like I know Sword Art, at least from what we've heard from behind the scenes, is the man at the helm. Mm-hmm. So I think you can definitely get a core JJ esque style from Sword Art. Now whether he can adapt that from language and from coming into a North American scene and a very different style, I don't know. And but an I orb with a lot of pressure, right? Like TSM has a lot of eccentricities as an org, as we've seen play out many times. So just Having and as a head coach again. with no experience. I mean, there's a lot of different pitfalls around it. And then if he's not energized and just ends up being a famous support past his mechanical peak and they can't leverage his obvious strengths, he's still a very talented. Hey, can you remind package. me what what happened with forward. the last the last like uh, system supports <laughs> who are shot callers that went to TSM? It's happened a few times now. Can you remind me what happened to those guys, Papa Smiley? I mean, does that negate trying to do it again with even more money and fame? I don't know. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I mean, you literally got peak Sven and Mithy. You got peak Yellowstar, and you couldn't do it. Like, what I will say is the man is a ray of sunshine. And if you ever need anything <laughs> yes. to untilt you in a series, a, a smile and a wink from Sword Art will do it. That man, yeah. is uh, he's got a smile beyond any. The only person that can contest his smile's power is Casa, so... Those two combined. I really wanted him to join Top Esports. The the reunion yeah. of the Flash Wolves on Top Esports would have been something. But I mean, obviously his destination, we still don't know, right? There's obviously That's a lot true. going on That's true. with Sword Art, with Palette, with all the people that are being linked to the position here. And I don't know any, I don't have any inside info my, on what my favorite doing. My favorite thing about Palette was Jensen Go saying on Twitter, like, well, of course Palette would go to TSM. He would make so much more money. I'm like, do you not remember all of those European pros who were offered million dollar contracts who literally didn't leave Europe to be competitive and because they wanted to stay in their home area? Uh, I seem to remember a lot of Korean players who literally didn't leave Korea because they wanted to stay in Korea and for nationalism and pride reasons. Like just because he's making more money doesn't mean that Palo would go. I, I never know what the scale is there because if the scale is an, if it's 20 X, right. Then maybe we're like, you know, maybe we're talking, I don't know what the Vietnamese pay it's is. Everyone like. has a number, right? Everyone maybe, usually has yeah. a number. I will um, say that but, the meme of SFM being the richest man in Vietnam is there for a reason, right? The Vietnam salaries from what I hear. Yeah, yeah. are No, I get it. I'm just saying that you can't like, competitive people do things for different reasons than money. And we like why Jensen would say that when we have a million different instances of people literally not doing anything for money. Like, what do you think Faker could have left with the rest of the Samsung teams in 2015 for way more money? Guys didn't do it. Didn't go to the LPL at any point in time. You know? I'm interested to see where it all ends up because there's a lot of stuff that's come unwrinkled. We obviously know that EG and TSM had their dealing that had been pulled back and no one knows where it's all going to go. So I mean, I'm, just, mean... I'm just loving this. Even even if they did get their top roster, mm-hmm. I mean, this roster is just tragic. The TSM roster? Yeah, in terms of synergy or it making any kind of sense. It's a lot to take in. So I, I, I don't feel like I, mean... I have a full idea on it because it's like, what is Huni? What is Poe without Centaur and with a different type of jungler? Who is the AD carry? And how does Sword Art apply? It's like a lot of different. Like again, we've been talking about scientific method, and it's like I just, I just kind of sit back and I'm like, it could come together. So, so Papa, Papa, as a GM, would hmm. you say that this is a good way of GMing a team? 
I mean, I've done exactly the opposite, right? Like I have four players. So no, not saying that it's the best way. It's just that way. I think if you're gonna go the opposite way, they're going Jesus in a big Christ. style and they have an idea of it, but like. It's not how I GM'd my team. Doesn't necessarily mean I GM my team correctly. Committed Holy to shit! It. All right. Well, that was the information I needed. Anyway. <laughs> he may not have said no, but that was the definite emotional no. It sounds like yeah. flame. Don't get me wrong. It's just we've gone exactly opposites, and there's probably validity going exactly opposites because the high roll of this team is, is top one, but yeah. the high roll requires so many junctures of like likelihoods that for it to all come together is obviously very unlikely but they may have seen something that i didn't see i can't tell you it's correct or incorrect i can just say it looks very risky <laughs> jesus christ okay fine um, <laughs> if you want to equivocate in that fashion i can only <laughs> laugh i cannot stop you uh <laughs> so i i do obviously if we're going to talk at a i do want to uh ask you a little bit about 100 thieves i believe your your roster is fully confirmed is that correct Yes, yeah, we, we got, got Sunday closer, Demonte, uh, FBI, Huhi, and then Zeke's as coach. Do you want to? Because mm -hmm. um, obviously, this was a, a dramatic change from from the previous roster. Do you want to kind of explain a little bit of of the? Because you said this is a totally opposite mentality to what TSM did. Do you want to explain that mentality? Well, it's, 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 so the funny thing is, it's a, it's a it's an exactly opposite conclusion. That's why I said if you look at it, it's like I got four and one, right? But like. That wasn't what we started the offseason being like, you know, one phone call, all right, four players, get over here. Someday's pretty good. Like, it, it, well, it didn't start like that, but it came together like that. So, and at the end of the day, all people really see is the end roster. We're seeing a bit more from TSM and EG because of the, like, push and pull and, like, the, the stuff going on there. But usually you only see, like, what the, the final result was. Um, and for us, you know, we were eliminated from playoffs super early against EG. And we've been working since then on roster, which seems again like a counterpoint to like it was four players and, and one, right? But everyone now knows the offseason goes in a lot of different ways. Golden Guardians for a long time were looking to strengthen, as they've talked about in their video. And then the budget cut happened and like their process changed. Clearly, FlyQuest process changed a couple of times because they were reported to be the team landing Licorice early. And then they definitely weren't. And then they ended up signing him. So the, the offseason is very unpredictable about what happens so that's mm -hmm. the end result of like what your roster is is really like one data point of something that's been shifting in priorities and negotiations every day since that day we were eliminated from eg so since then we've been focusing on what our process is which is let's talk to all our players work out what we didn't didn't have as a seventh place team obviously there's more stuff we didn't have than we did have from there it's like okay what do we need apart from like sick players, you know? Because obviously everyone wants to find the six players in every role. And our big thing was is that, and it's going to be mean to hell, obviously, that we already did a video that we released on Twitter, but it's like this idea of like firepower, which can mean a lot of things. It's a very like easy word for fans to ingest, but it basically means a player who is both, like, there's like simple things like aggressive, um, but it's also like demanding wants resources, knows how to carry when they have their resources, has a bit of an orbit around them where like, you know, kind of like double lift on Team Liquid, like play around this player and you're probably going to win. Like that kind of like demanding aggressive style was what we were lacking. You know, we had a mid laner with very low confidence in, in Ryoma between his own play and all the stuff that happened around him. Cody is definitely much more of a 
a role player, then I'll give me all the resources and I'll, you know, be the big voice to demand more. Um, and that was something where we were just like, okay, we really want this. We really want someone like that. And we started to define, okay, so who are the players out there like that? So it was a lot of scouting with like most multiple different scouts and pro players rating performance. And we were mostly looking on um, team fights and basically how do people approach team fights? Do they know their threats and who they're focusing on and all the things around like what it is to be a good fighter? Because obviously in North America, we don't have macro, we just fight at some point. So good fighters is probably a pretty good success um, condition for us. Um, and then, okay, who's achievable? Who's out there? Who do we want to reach out to? And we were given a lot of confidence by management of just find the players that you think are the players and we will support you in getting them. Um, people have heard, you know, we threw numbers at big EU mids and like all the best players out there. And of the players that we had on our like high firepower, championship level firepower players, um, FBI was the one who we were able to negotiate a deal for. And that obviously was a long process that was happening and wasn't happening, definitely wasn't going to happen. And GGS were going to do this and then the plans changed. So obviously you're doing all sorts of conversations and dealings and stuff along the way. But eventually FBI was available and a player who we weren't zeroed in on in closer was available too. And we were able to pick up both. Um, and that was like a core of firepower. We're like, okay, closer FBI someday. Like you say it out loud and you're like, hmm, that sounds very, very delicious. You know, there's a lot going on there. And those were the three players. And you've seen a lot of teams do different things, right? Like verbal agreements very early or some teams, you know, something falls through and they're still without a roster later. And it's, do you lock in something or have a conversation or like lock in a direction early or do you, do you wait and see what happens? It's always a very interesting part of being a general manager. We were like, all right, we love these three. Let's figure out where we go from there. And obviously it eventually ended up with being a core of four, you know, like that was, that was many conversations and further research and decision trees later. But at the end of the day, it was, we started there and then we're like, okay, who adds value here? How does it add value there? And I talk about this more in the video we released, but for us, it basically started with this goal of let's find firepower. And at the end, we have our five and we think we found our firepower. So while it could have gone a million other ways based on a million factors and different conversations, I still look at where we started, the decision trees that got us there. And I'm like, I'm really fucking happy with what we ended up with, but it was quite the process. So, well, Papa, I, I'm very unbiased, but I think that realistically you've done a fantastic job there. Geez. Like, personally, I just think <laughs> overall you've shirt, done it amazing. I'm liking it. I'm liking me here. So, so I, I, I actually do work, think, by the way. I do yeah. think this roster <laughs> is pretty good and like has a has an upside of like third place probably because I don't even think TSO, if they get that roster, will be as good as this roster. Um, but see, my thing is, and you can tell that I've I've been in, in the UK too long when I'm going to make this analogy. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's like I've got my prime rib roast, right? And I'm sitting here, <laughs> and like, someday is like the fucking prime rib, and it's just so delicious. You know, it's exactly what I want in this roster. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, would you like some closer? And he's like the Yorkshire pudding. I'm like, oh, yeah, it goes mm. perfect with this prime rib. And then you come to me, and you're like, FBI, well, you know, he's a little new, but, you know, I like the horseradish, you know, spicing up the prime rib a little bit. And then you're like, oh, uh, we've got DeMonte. And I'm like, no, I wanted like potatoes. And you're like, no, we got DeMonte. He's like the parsnip that's like 
crept into this that it's there and i like to take a bite out of it and i'm like it's okay but it's really it's just filler for this dish and i didn't really want it at the end of the day and isn't it taking up a little bit of my appetite that could be used to eat more prime rib or even some mashed potatoes cream spinach any other shit is the gravy and it's a very obvious community perception Who he is right? not it's... the gravy i'll tell you that <laughs> <laughs> i think that like if you think about it as like someday you know top two na player depending on top laner depending on who you talk to closer you could argue the same fbi who he best bot lane and playoffs then the question is rounding out that roster with another firepower player another super hard carry player given the rea reality of, you know, resident and import things and things like that, like very much when it comes to rounding that out, it's like of the players that we can consider as an NA resident mid laner, we want a player who accentuates what we have already. And that's the thing is that I think DeMonte fills that role very, very admirably. I think he is a great fit for that role in terms of being able to, and we use the word glue player in the video, but he can play with the jungler like Niski did with Blabber. We're all golden glue. He's the greatest glue player. There. I don't know what's going on with golden glue. I'm going to be honest. But fair point. Also, he's got golden in the name and golden guardians. Apparently, a thing for us. So, uh, yeah. but um, like at the end of the day, like there's always going to be constrictions, right? And as for resident players who will immediately add value to this roster. I don't think there is anybody you better than how Monte he just says doubling down on the word resident like every single time. When Look, is, uh, hey, I have a question for you unrelated to this conversation. Uh -huh. When does someday get his green card? I don't have the answer on that. And I don't think anyone who gives green card ETAs should be react, be uh, trusted too strongly. Uh, it, it always Biden administration goal. could uh, could speed that up, don't you think? I mean, I've been asking the lawyers what the story is there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have nothing to do with that other conversation. Now back to the conversation we were having. Mm -hmm. Okay, I get it. I get it. Anyway. I mean, at the end of the day, like I think the end result again is is so amusing, right? Like I could we could have skipped all the hard work and then just been like, you guys got four good players over there, you know? Like and that's absolutely not how it was, but at least we now know that with all the vetting that was done, for this to be the roster that we come out with, like and that we're all happy with it and it's uh respectful of the process we put in. I can just look at it and say, I'm really happy what we have year on year. And then every year you look at it again and look to make little changes from there. So it's a pretty straightforward thing. And I'm also excited for when our Academy roster gets to go live because the Academy roster has been set up in a way where we want to scrim this Academy roster every day uh, and have meaningful competition. And I think we have meaningfully good players for that as well there. I'm surprised Golden Guardians agreed to that. <laughs> <laughs> just, keep doing it, just get the knife in a little bit deeper you know, at the end of the day it's one of those things where when you end up with four golden guardians players people are like duh you just stole it and it's like i mean you're right no, i i am i am making four of your players i am making jokes and like honestly i don't think there's a problem with that because golden guardians i think did do very well at the end of the season and it had a lot of upside so i don't necessarily like people can make jokes about it but i don't see it as a negative gm move you know what i mean it's like could I take this good team, but also add a way better top laner to it? Why wouldn't I, I mean, do if that? You have, if, if you have weird ego, you'd like change more pieces. So it looked like your own work or something, you know, like, oh, you should have changed more. So people could like think more of you as a GM, but that's not the process we were running. It was very much about vetting and making the correct decision. And it's almost more crazy that it came out this way, because if you were like looking to make intentional tweaks for like 
some sort of like public opinion, you would have done it. You know, like this was just our process came to this conclusion. And at the end, it's yeah. it's a big meme. But if we win fucking games because of it, people are going to forget the memes and appreciate the wins really fast. Yeah, I think you basically upgraded at every single position. Except for someday. So how can you are like objectively as a fan? Yeah. How can you like, be mad? Like, I even though contracts was performing well, like is closer a massive upgrade? Yes. Is FBI an upgrade? Yes. Is I, I can't believe I'm about to utter these words. Is who he an upgrade? <laughs> yes, he is. You should, uh, uh, so one of the most interesting, <laughs> the really early in-houses between um, who he and core JJ was the first time there wasn't huge support diff because it's been mostly amateur supports against Core JJ when he plays. And it is, I mean, I obviously didn't you know, get to hear his comms a lot you know, before all this process, but uh, it is interesting to see what he's already able to, to put out there. And I'm very excited to see him develop over the next year because it feels weird to talk about a support developing when the chronological age is on the older side, right? But he's played one full year of support um, and he's already and at a really impressive level. He, it's not about age. It's about who it's not about how old he is it's about how who he is you know that's that's where <laughs> it I wasn't who he the best who he in me. 2016 you know like he was a very important player at a time in his career <laughs> didn't afromu train who he a lot as well oh or, if I remember, or am i just all right okay i'm just gonna they're, they're really good friends but the training and like the role <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah. doesn't really fit there so i don't I, that's just like i don't know that's okay. a who he question okay. to ask for yeah. sure I've, I've not even Demonte, big upgrade. So I, I mean, I agree with you. If anything, this should be a better iteration of that roster. And I think on the on the topic of it being like a, a meme of like the Hundred Thieves Academy roster and all this, like there's a comparable parallel there to Fnatic being G2's Academy roster, right? That's the same meme, but in EU right now. The meme is only a negative meme to the team that is being called the Academy roster. Exactly. It's only a you should positive just own that. meme to the team that's taking the players, right? I mean, like, look, we're not shying away from it, right? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, it is what it is. Like pretending that something didn't happen when it objectively happened is a good way to just be memed on yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think for us, it's just the problem I have is like we had our like end of scouting meeting, right? Where it's like, thanks everyone. Like I know how fucking hard everybody worked, but they all look at it and they're like, oh, like everyone's just going to like, think that we didn't do anything like that like from a like hours invested to now everyone kind of like papering over it as like well you just like made one phone call like from the people who work under me i feel really bad for them because like they don't get the same like everybody like looking how appetizing it is Look. at the end you get everyone reducing it to the negative meme around it and for them it was that's why i had to be strong and be like i fucking understand how hard you guys all worked i look at our process year on year compared to when i first started to now I see all of that, and I credit you for all of that. Nothing is negated just because fans see the like mm -hmm. the top level side of it, and the top level side of it is real. We can't pretend it's not. But that was the only part I felt bad was for all their work having this weird like. Now I can't feel as good about it. Oh, I earned it. You know, like that's the part. That's the only part I feel bad about. But that's a me thing to deal with 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 my employees and recognize rather than anything that could be changed because. It literally is four players from another team. I mean, I think it's genius. I mean, you worked 
you know, you worked all year and all you had to do is make one phone call. The efficiency is insane. Exactly, the efficiency baby. is absolutely <laughs> Let me crazy. Take, take those two months off and still pull it off the rocket the same way, we'd be having a different conversation. I'd be like, wow, I had a really nice break and upgraded. <laughs> yeah, when you figure out like the dollars earned per hour, it's oh, it's off the charts. Why do you think he has time for this podcast? He just uh, saved himself. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think TSM has time for this podcast right now? No. Papa Smith EGM God. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I don't even know where to go from that. Um, uh, if, I, like, I just want to quickly check in with you guys. Uh, are you guys uh, enjoying yourselves? Do you want to keep going? Are you starting I, I to wrap to things go, up? I have to go to bed, unfortunately, because yeah, it's been three, You've three got a and a half in the hours. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. But um, okay, well. I have I have a baby that's going to wake me up super oh, early. So I forgot yeah. about that. Congrats, I guess. Congrats. <laughs> um, okay, well, we'll wrap things up then. Well, uh, gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure having you. Uh, Dagda, yeah, is there any, any last things you wanted to add before we, we cl close out the show? Nope. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cheers, Rob. Uh, Irish man stares blankly at camera. <laughs> yeah. Tune um, into LPL, everybody. Yeah, yeah. so... I'll give you guys an opportunity to just shout out what you're doing right now and and, and any plugs you want to do. Uh, Monty, we'll start with you. Uh, maybe I'll do Summoning Insight again next year. We'll see. Uh, so maybe watch that. Otherwise, watch Flashpoint. It's happening next week. It's good. It's Counter-Strike. We have fun on the broadcast. We make skits. We have a cool animated hype video coming out on Monday. Nice. Sweet. All right. Well, tune into Flashpoint, everyone. And uh, Papa Smithy, anything you want to uh, shout out before we close out the show? Yeah, shout out to you guys specifically um, oh, and the LPL God. team. No, it's, it's more important to me. Like, watch the LPL. It's a good region. It's got good casters. You know, it's obviously building a lot of fix it stuff for years, but you guys, yeah, you know, kind of with everyone leaving, with Raz leaving as well, putting together a product without a through line person, like, you know, myself for many years, Monty for many years is actually impressive. So I don't mean this in kind of like some backhanded way or like I have nothing to say. I actually do think that people should watch more of your content um, and watch more of the LPL. And then for us, um, you know, we, we're definitely hitting our second year running of my program over here. I'm excited about what we've built and we'll be releasing the heist and stuff, you know, next year and stuff when we get closer to things. But now that we've spent so many months with names on a on a document and, and putting things together. I'm just excited to get it all going. So I just want like, you know, preseason to start and get the get the training in there. It's still a little bit further away. It's probably like around Christmas time that we actually start like building into the season, but I'm excited for it for sure. I do second Papa about watching the LPL. I think you guys did do really good work this year and it was a pleasure, pleasure to watch. And, you know, I know it's weird because LPL has obviously been the, the best region in the world for the last couple of years that people don't watch it more, but I think you guys have done a great job adding significant personality and, and fun to that region and helping out with the be the bridge to the Western audience. So thanks for that. It's, people it's, find it very difficult. It's a lot more fun to watch. Thank and you. people find it very difficult to like pitch broadcasts if you don't have like someone who has all that experience, right? That's why it should be complimented is you guys have found your own style. You've found the like kind of like temperature check of the region and shared that with the fans and gotten people excited and hyped. And to do that dropped in, you know, nine years in or something when it comes to the pro scene in China is impressive. Like it is absolutely something you guys should feel good about. And I'm excited to see how it grows into 2021. 
Well, thank you very much, guys. Appreciate and and you. also, yeah. thank you very much for coming on as well. You guys Pleasure. are absolute legends of the industry. And like, realistically, a lot of our inspiration comes from from you guys and and people and your uh, peers back in back a couple of years yeah. ago. So I'll I'll echo that. Like a lot of my learning to be a color caster was like watching used to on a couch in Korea, like streaming <laughs> the games from like this shitty little webcam. Oh, so. so 2016, yeah. baby, we were there. We saw <laughs> yeah. Woosh's great big play. That was a good one. <laughs> you so know, yeah, Papa, if I think about that moment, by the way, and I think that we had like 20,000 concurrent viewers, this is before you could make money on Twitch by having that many concurrent viewers. Yeah. We, we literally could have just made a League of Legends uh, couch podcast and been millionaires. So I kind of regret that. I mean, it was the co it was the co stream after the fact, right? Like we were only able to show the games after the official stream was over. So it was uh, it was it was it was, was twenty show, I guess. Rent VOD reviews. Well, rip rip our wallets, I guess. Rip our wallets. <laughs> nah, Don't worry, that'll just be babies of the boys next year. You guys can come yeah, along. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. All right, well, we're gonna close out the stream. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both. You both. Uh, personal heroes of mine so thank you thank you for coming on the show and i'm sure dagda echoes that as well yeah. um we're gonna close that show thank you very very much everyone for watching as well it'll be on youtube probably tomorrow and it'll be on spotify and apple podcasts as well but with that we'll close things out so we'll see you guys in the next episode <laughs>